This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Catherine Sophia is pouring it on now. She has opened up suddenly to a five-length lead over Dearest and Lewis Bay. Oh, this is one fantastic filly. Catherine Sophia wins the Devona Dale by about seven lengths in the end. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. But it's all California Chrome as they come for home. They would need to sprout wings to get to California Chrome. Absolutely romping in under Victor Espinosa. San Felipe was a walkover for California Crow. Secretariat on the rail. Champagne Charlie on the outside, an eighth of a mile to the finish. Secretariat on the inside in front by half a length. Champagne Charlie second, 70 yards to the finish. It's Secretariat now in front. Now here's Mike Penna. Good morning once again, everyone, and welcome to the show that launched a network, the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you back in the starting gate with me right up until 11 a.m. Eastern on Sirius 162, XM 207, affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, and streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net, or wherever you access your podcast. I've got some really cool stuff planned for you here this morning, including a brand new segment on I Ask, They Answer with Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin toward the end of the show at 10.30 Eastern. I'm going to play a couple rounds of Who Did It Best with Dale and Tim as we look back on a few significant accomplishments in racing history, which took place today and this weekend. It was on this day in 1940, in his final career start, that Seabiscuit finally added a big cap win to his resume after failed attempts in both 1937 and 1938. It was also on this same day in 1966 that five-time Horse of the Year Kelso wrapped up his brilliant career, finishing fourth at Hialeah Park. How's that for you? Seabiscuit, Kelso, both running their final race on this day. Seabiscuit retired with 33 wins from 89 starts. He had Kelso retiring with 39 wins from 63 career starts. So I'm going to ask Dale and Tim, which legendary thoroughbred did it best throughout their career? It's kind of a tough call, and you're really kind of splitting hairs. But I think when you when you get down to it, you look at Kelso, and you say, all right, five-time horse of the year. Five time. Kelso's probably got a little bit of an edge over Seabiscuit, although that's not taking anything away from Seabiscuit. And what he accomplished was certainly remarkable. But I think those five horse of the year titles set Kelso apart 
not just from Seabiscuit, but from so many horses that we've seen, so many so-called great horses that we've seen in this game over the years. That should be interesting. I'm also going to ask them who did it best between jockey Pat Day and fellow Hall of Famer Bill Shoemaker because yesterday marked the anniversary of Hall of Fame jockey Pat Day becoming the sixth rider to reach $100 million in career earnings. And then tomorrow, we're going to celebrate the anniversary of Bill Shoemaker becoming the first jockey to reach that milestone, that million-dollar plateau. So who did it best? Was it Pat Day? Was it Bill Shoemaker? Again, really splitting hairs with this one. But I'm really going to be anxious to see what Dale and Tim have to say. I know Dale is wonderful friends with Pat Day, has been for a very, very long time. They've won a lot of races together. But Bill Shoemaker, there are so many people in this game that will look at Bill Shoemaker and say, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. Nobody did it better than Bill Shoemaker. And the other thing that's interesting about these two who did it best topics is that it's very much East versus West with both of these. Shoe, of course, spending his career on the West Coast, Pat Day, throughout the Midwest and the East Coast, and then Seabiscuit, West Coast, Kelso, East Coast. We'll see if that plays into it at all. Again, that segment comes up 10.30 Eastern. That should be a lot of fun. I'm also going to ask Dale and Tim to go back in time in regards to the three greatest stakes races that are being run today, which are all offering Kentucky Derby qualifying points. There are actually four of those. Three, three today, one tomorrow now, with the San Felipe being moved from today to tomorrow. And if you haven't heard because of the heavy rains in Southern California, Santa Anita has shifted their program. No racing today. They have moved that big cap San Felipe program to tomorrow and then the Sunday card going to Monday. You have the Fountain of Youth, the Gotham, the San Felipe tomorrow. You also have the John Battaglia Memorial. But for the purposes of this particular question, I'm going to focus on the three greatest stakes. The Battaglia is not graded. Six horses have won both the San Felipe and the Kentucky Derby. Five horses have captured the Fountain of Youth before winning the Kentucky Derby, but only one horse has pulled off the Gotham Derby double. Only one. His name was Secretariat. So if we're going to put all those horses in the starting gate together, going a mile and a quarter on the first Saturday in May, and let's let's call it a, a dream Kentucky Derby, Here's what the field will look like. From the Fountain of Youth, the horses to have won the Fountain of Youth and the Kentucky Derby, Tim Tam, Kawai King, Spectacular Bid, Thunder Gulch, and Orb. From the San Felipe, Determined, Affirmed, Sunday Silence, Fusaichi Pegasus, California Chrome, and Authentic. All versus Secretariat. So I'll ask Dale and Tim, who are you taking? And I'll ask you the same question right now. Who are you taking in that race? You can email the show, Mike at horseracingradio.net. Let me know. Are you taking Big Red or are you going to take the field and all those other tremendous racehorses versus Big Red? Mike at horseracingradio.net. You can also hit us up on social media at HRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network, 
on Facebook. That is not the poll question today. That will come your way here in just a minute. But I'm just curious to know, who would you take? Those are some really good, spectacular bid. Described as the greatest horse ever to look through a bridle. Sunday silence. Affirmed. Triple crown winner affirmed. Fusaichi Pegasus. Are you taking Big Red against that field? Was he, is he really, let's face it, Secretariat regarded as the greatest of all time? Is he the horse to beat even with those other top horses in there? If you were going to put that, that field together. And the only way, the one thing we're fortunate with in horse racing is we have times. And I know that times and track conditions and track surfaces will vary from year to year to year. But that's really the one constant. That's really the one variable that we can compare apples to apples. So let's do it. So spectacular bid and affirmed are probably going to be the leaders in the clubhouse to be the second and third choice behind Secretariat in that dream derby. So let's compare them. Secretariat completed his Kentucky Derby in a record 159 and two-fifths seconds, 159.4. If you're going to go by the the age-old formula that one-fifth of a second equals one length, and that's popular with speed figure guys. I I used to use that number when I was creating my own speed figures years ago. You look at affirmed, 201.2, 201.2, spectacular bid, 202.4. That was their winning times in the Kentucky Derby. That would mean Secretariat beat spectacular bid by 15 lengths. 15 lengths, not even close, and nine over affirmed. The horse on the list of the Fountain of Youth and San Felipe winners I just mentioned who would have finished closest to Secretariat in this equation based strictly on time is Fusaichi Pegasus. His final running time in the Derby was 201 flat. He still gets beat eight lengths. Eight lengths by Big Red. So, if you just look at the Derby and you just look at the times, and I know those surfaces were different. Secretariat was 73. Affirm was 78. Spectacular bid was 79. Not the same surface. I get it. But they were all run on a fast track, all running a mile and a quarter, all at Churchill Downs. That is the closest comparison we can make. How about the Preakness? <clears throat> All three of those horses won the Preakness. Secretariat's final time, 153 flat. Affirmed, 154.40. Spectacular bid, slightly faster, 154.20. All at a mile and three sixteenths. Again, one-fifth of a second, equaling one length. Secretariat wins by six over the bid and seven over Affirmed. Hard to go against Big Red, even with those other great horses in there. Again, Dale and Tim will debate that topic as well in the final segment at 10.30 Eastern. Here's the poll question for this morning before I run down the entire guest lineup. Going to spend a lot of time talking about the big races coming up later today and now tomorrow at Santa Anita. Which of these races is more likely to produce the winner of the Kentucky Derby? Is it the Gotham at Aqueduct? Is it the Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream, the San Felipe in California, or the John Battaglia Memorial 
at Turfway Park. Which of those races is more likely to produce the winner of the Kentucky Derby? The Gotham, Fountain of Youth, San Felipe, or John Battaglia Memorial? I, I think the the easy answer, if indeed Bob Baffert's horses were eligible to compete in the Kentucky Derby, would be the San Felipe because it features Nisos, who is regarded by most people as the best three-year-old in the country right now, ineligible to compete on the first Saturday in May. But Bob has more than half of that short field in the San Felipe anyway. So I want to know your thoughts. Which of those races more likely to produce the Kentucky Derby winner? You can email the show, mike at horseracingradio.net. You can also hit me up on social media, at HRRN is our Twitter account, and you can go to our Facebook page, Horse Racing Radio Network, to cast your vote. All right, here's the lineup today. You're going to hear from Ramiro Restrepo coming up in just a few minutes. Ramiro, of course, the owner of last year's Derby winner, Mage. He has a very talented runner in this year's Fountain of Youth later today. I'll talk to him about going back down the road to the Kentucky Derby. You're going to hear from trainer Butch Reed at 835 Eastern. He'll talk about Maximus excuse me, he'll talk about his son of Maximus Mischief, who was his 2018 Remsen winner, who goes in today's Gotham Stakes at Aqueduct. Calling all three-year-olds presented by Spendthrift comes up right around 8.55. Elliot Walden, the CEO of Windstar, will join me 9 o'clock Eastern. He'll get a chance to look back on Timberlake's big win at Oaklawn last Saturday, and he'll look ahead to the Fountain of Youth today. I'll talk to John White coming up at 9.35. John, the morning line odds maker with Santa Anita. He'll join me in the second hour to look ahead to tomorrow's program at Santa Anita, the big cap to San Felipe and all those stakes races. But John receiving the honor this week of being inducted into the Washington State Horse Racing Hall of Fame. He is a Washington bred himself, and he is now a member of that Hall of Fame, so well-deserved. So I'll get a chance to talk to John about some of his most memorable moments in his Hall of Fame career. The Twin Spires Triple Play with Vance Hansen comes up 10 o'clock Eastern to kick off hour number three. Kurt Becker stroll through racing history at 1020, and as I mentioned, Dale Roman's Tim Wilkin at 1030 Eastern. Plenty of things to get to. Ramiro Restrepo is next here on the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races, dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track, and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. 
When it's time to paint the fences and barns, think Farm Paint. At Farm Paint, you get the industry's best coatings and paints factory direct at low, low prices. Farm Paint is your source for quality paints, roof coatings, dustless arena footings, and more. You can purchase online or drop into a Farm Paint store near you with locations in Heart of Bluegrass Country at 700 Phillips Lane in Lexington, Kentucky, Columbus, Ohio, and Sandusky, Ohio. Buy factory direct and save at farmpaint.com. That's farmpaint.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. And two fills has taken the lead. Two fills turns for home in front, in front by two. Mage is coming down the center. Hit show is there. Kings Barnes gives way. Angel of Empire with powerful strides down the center of the track. But there's one for long to go. Two fills fights on, but Mage has taken the lead. Angel of Empire's a rallying third. Time is running out to catch Mage. Mage digs down deep, urged onto the wire, onto the wire to win the derby! Mage the winner, two fills was second, Angel of Empire was third, and Disarm came on for fourth. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. That is the way it sounded last year on the first Saturday in Mage. Uh, first Saturday in May, first Saturday in Mage, maybe that's a new thing. Mage crossing the finish line first and uh, giving... Owner Ramiro Restrepo, a huge, huge special win on racing's biggest stage. Travis Stone had the call for you there. Um, Ramiro is back with a horse that is running in the Fountain of Youth today, who is a maiden, trained by Gustavo Delgado. John Velasquez will be aboard. The horse is Victory Avenue, and Ramiro is here now to talk about it. But, Ramiro, let's start with what we just heard, man. I know you and I have talked a couple of times since that Kentucky Derby. It, It probably never gets old listening to that call, does it? No, you know, never, Mike. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, look, it's like Christmas every day. You know, if you're ever down or having a bad one, you can always pop into YouTube and uh, <laughs> see that uh, that run and just remember all the incredible memories with your friends and family. It's uh, it's really something you just can't put into words. But uh, it's definitely been the start of a quite of a ride of a lifetime. How often do you go back and watch the race? Uh several times a week i mean it's just um <laughs> you, you seriously you want to pinch yourself i mean it's like what dreams may come you know uh people say you know you, you read hallmark cards and watch movies but <laughs> to, you know it, it really happened and, and you just want to relive that amazing moment over and over again that's interesting too that now with victory avenue in today's fountain of youth in order to win that race with Victory Avenue, one of the horses you have to beat is Mage's full brother, Doorknock, which is kind of cool. For sure. I mean, it's a testament to, uh, you know, to Good Magic and to Puka, uh, how the bloodline shine through. Both of them are extremely talented horses, and, you know, it's clear they've passed it on to their progeny. So, uh, you know, from afar, it's always nice to see those things happen. Um, you know, it's a little anticlimactic, Mike. I'm about to break some news. We're actually having to scratch Victory Avenue today uh, from the Fountain of Youth. Uh, you know, these horses are are, are, are some, uh, they take you on some kind of roller coaster. You know, we, um, Victory Avenue is a, like a, one of these feel-good, bright-eyed, big appetite, big personality horses. Even the day after his maiden, like, head out the stall, standing, rearing up on two, and on two legs. He's just a big, you know, big, high-energy horse. This morning, didn't eat a drop of food. 
kind of like in the corner of his stall, little down, quiet. This is just 180 degrees from how he is. Doesn't have a temperature. There's nothing wrong with him physically, externally. Uh, doesn't have a temp, but he's clearly not himself. And when you don't eat, uh, that's just the horse is kind of you know trying to tell you something. Uh, kind of going to give him another day, just walk him nice and easy, and then uh, do some blood work um, Monday morning just to you know double check. Could it be something you know something that's just passing through. It happens, uh, but uh, that that line you know it's horse racing. Uh, it's definitely nothing that we that somebody wanted to hear. I'm in Dubai actually right now for for the Saudi Cup and now for Super Saturday. So, you know, for myself, I I, I caught it this afternoon my time, but Gustavo called me at four in the morning. He was already at the barn early. You know, they have cameras on him twenty four seven, and uh, they were up all night just watching him. And he just hasn't been characteristic of himself overnight and into the morning. So, they got to the barn really early. Been trying to you know work with him a little bit and. Uh, He's just not what you need to be when you're going to run, especially in a race of this caliber with this type of opponent. So we won't be running, but, uh, you know, hopefully that could, this could cycle out of the system sooner than later and, um, you know, find what the, what the logical spot is uh, next. But it's definitely not the conversation you want to have with yourself and all your partners that come yeah. into town this early, but, you know, racing is littered with these kind of uh, events. Yeah, I don't know what it is about this first hour of the program here this morning, but Rob Murphy was set to join me in the next segment, and Rob is part owner of Slider, who is scheduled to go in the Gotham Stakes later today at Aqueduct. He's he's involved with West Point Thoroughbreds there, and Slider will also be coming out of that race because of a sore foot. Nothing serious, it, it doesn't sound like, but he is going to miss the Gotham and uh, so Rob had to scratch, too, because his horse scratched. So I, I don't know. This first hour here today um, didn't bode well for all my good friends who were running horses and stakes races today. But we'll get to see Victory Avenue another day, I'm sure. And he's a horse with plenty of potential. Why did you think, Ramiro, as a maiden, that he fit in the Fountain of Youth? Sure. You know, um, we've always thought highly of the horse. Uh, he's shown a lot of precocity. Uh, just in his natural ability. Uh, mentally, he was a little, he's, he's a little further behind Mage as far as maturity, but as far as his physical makeup and how easily he picked up things on the racetrack, his workouts, we were confident to debut him on a big day like the Pegasus. He ran a monster race, you know, his second quarter faster than the first and, you know, ran huge numbers, ragazin-wise, fire-wise. I mean, that's a winning effort nine out of 100 times. We were going to go into a maiden, but his last two works, which were three-quarter works galloping out in a mile, really did it in a special way. Um, we really thought we could actually lay off the pace. Um, and, you know, he wasn't trained to go and empty out, you know, the, the, <laughs> empty out the, the gas tank like he did. It was just something that was a spur-of-the-moment, you know, rider's call, and, and he ran that race, but... He was by no means trained to run in that fashion, to flash that kind of savage speed. So, you know, we've been teaching him to relax and rate a little more, and we were hoping that, you know, if you could lower those, you know, excuse me, make that race a, a little better, a little more favorable time-wise, you know, he could carry. He's bred to go two turns, and uh, 
you know, there's nothing that shows us that he was a runoff or a sprinter. So he just always with a lot of natural speed. Um, Gustavo's done this before. Uh, that's why you have to have the confidence in the captain at the helm. Bodie Express, he ran him as in the Florida Derby as a maiden, ran second um, to maximum security that year. And uh, he's gotten those same kind of vibes from this horse, just horse with tons of ability. And, you know, he didn't have to win today. That wasn't necessarily like the agenda. It was just, look, the Derby's a special race. We got to experience it. You have a horse that has that kind of talent. Physically, if the horse can handle it and mentally show that he can go through the paces, we were willing to give it a shot. You know, you, if we wouldn't have run major in the Fire of Youth last year, which was also up for debate, those 10 points doesn't get us into the Derby after his runner finish in the Florida Derby. So we were like, look, let's try to take two shots at this thing and, and um, see how he develops mentally and physically going forward. You know, we, we, we're we, just as easy as we as we'll hit the accelerator, we'll hit the button, uh, the, the brake as well, the brakes. And um, that was just the thinking. He's a really talented horse, Mike. And, you know, the thing with these aggregates, you've seen them uh, develop a little later on and and can come on at, at any point in the year. And, um, you know, I think this is a horse that, given the opportunity that, we're, that you know, We'll, 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 we'll make an impact in some kind in this division, whether it's, you know, at some point in the Triple Crown Trail, the fall, or the winter, or whatever. I mean, he, we really do believe he's, he's that kind of caliber horse. Talking with owner Ramiro Restrepo here on the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Of course, the owner of last year's Kentucky Derby winner, Mage. Ramiro, I mentioned that Mage's full brother, Doorknock, is running in the Fountain of Youth later today. This will be his three-year-old debut for trainer Danny Gargan. Have you have you gotten a chance at any point, even throughout last year, to, to get up close and take a look at Doorknock? And if so, does he remind you physically in any way of Mage? Uh, so funny you say that. You know, I was at the sale, at the yearling sale, when Doorknock, was being sold by Running Mead, the, the farm that, that, that bred both horses, that raised both horses. And um, both Roman and, and Mr. Clay uh, were at the sale for Running Mead. And I told them, you know, mind this was in September, the horse didn't debut until January. And I told them, I go, you know, I have the full brother that can really run. And they were like, what do you think? And I was like, they could not be further opposites. Uh, Mage is a clone of Good Magic, you, or maybe a little, a little bit taller, but he's uh, in between his grandpa Curlin and, and Good Magic in terms of looks, markings, and, and size. Dornock is a puka, big brown, a big, tall, strong, bay, huge horse. So it's crazy how genetics works. I mean, if they stood next to each other, you would have no idea they were related one took after uh, Pops and the other one took after Mama. So uh, the one thing in common is the inside. They got, you know, seemingly they have the heart, uh, the talent, and, you know, being a group two winner, great two winner, you know, Darnak's proved it, that he can, he can really run. So I'll be rooting for him today, and, hey, it'll, it'll make for a nice uh, stallion <laughs> pedigree update for Mage that his brother hopefully wins another nice race. <laughs> Hey, you said you're over in Dubai and we're at the Saudi Cup. How cool was that scene and how cool was it to watch Senor Buscador storm down the stretch and put his head in front at the wire of that race last weekend? Oh, 
you know, I, I, I'm, it's, it's no uh, secret I'm a big fan of international racing and coming out here and seeing the other countries' passions for horse racing. Um, you know, you just feel like you're amongst, you know, even though the language may be different, the, the vibe and the energy and the feel for, for racing is the same. Uh, great to see Americans come over, have success. You know, uh, uh, Francisco D'Angelo ran third in the Saudi Derby, and you had um, these boys that got dipped on the wire in, 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 in the Saudi Derby as well from America with, um, I forget, uh, you know, Derek Ryan's horse. And then, you know, you had Senor Buscador get up there for Todd Fincher and company. It's just really, really nice to see, you know, Americans being able to travel abroad and enjoy the lifestyle that horse racing presents itself culturally. And then at the same time, you know what I mean? We're all here. They all get in the gate the same way and they, they, they head to, towards the line. So it, it's a beautiful experience. Both countries put on amazing productions, amazing shows. And it's just lovely to be out here, brother. Take it all in. And, uh, you know, walking around here and a lot of people obviously recognize you as the derby winner. And, you know, you, 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 suddenly you're a little more handsome <laughs> <laughs> while, while being out here. But it's cool, man. It's been it's, it's been a wonderful experience. Met a lot of amazing people, and uh, onwards and upwards, you know. Yeah, yeah. Bookum Dano, Bookum Dano was the horse that ran so Book'em massive. Dano. Yeah, correct. correct he, correct. He's a he's a tough son of a gun, and obviously not thinking Kentucky Derby. At least he wasn't. Uh, I don't know if they've changed their mind now after that big effort. Um, but it's going to take him a little time to get back to himself, I would imagine, when he gets back to the states. But. He is one tough racehorse, as is Senor Buscador, and it was really cool to see the uh, the American runners representing themselves very, very well. How about looking ahead to Dubai? What are you looking forward to most? Well, I've been here. I've been here all week. Um, you know, really been meeting a lot of uh, you know potential clients and existing clients for the upcoming you know breeze up sales and yearling sales. There's just you know, these days, Mike, the world is at your fingertips. Everything you can just touch within reach between social media, Zoom calls, there's online digital sales that, you know, FASIC is, you know, putting a, a, a monster, FASIC is doing a monster job with. The ability to touch markets, create business opportunities, and, you know, generate that, in, you know, in, like that, that, that trade are the opportunities are immeasurable and uh, the people over here they absolutely love racing both countries have dirt racing um you know they, they they're they're all looking to import a lot of our u.s uh bloodlines they're they're getting more and more open to it and look first and foremost before anything i'm a bloodstock agent before being an owner you know obviously i've had a few fun experiences as being an owner but i'm a bloodstock agent first and foremost and I love being the Pat Riley GM, putting together the, the equine Miami Heat team, you know. So <laughs> lo- being over here, meeting people, you know, uh, generating new opportunities and cultivating existing ones is what it's all about, you know. And uh, nothing beats FaceTime, being in front of these people and, um, you know, just being here in Maidan. It's an incredible structure. The races are fantastic. Laurel River from Judmont, who's, you know, who won the Pat O'Brien last year, just ran off the screen earlier in the card. So it's just cool seeing, you know, American runners over here, American connections at the same time, uh, you know, creating new business opportunities. That's what it's all about. You know, motion creates emotion, baby. You got to be out here 
making it happen. Yeah, amen to that. Ramiro Restrepo, he's been making it happen for a long time in this game, and he is continuing to do so. Sorry we won't get to see Victory Avenue this afternoon, but I know that he'll be back stronger than ever for his next start. We'll look forward to seeing him again. And Ramiro, I'm going to let you get to it. Enjoy your time in Dubai. Safe travels home, and I'm sure we'll be talking again soon, my friend. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your time, my brother. We'll talk soon. Take care, man. All right, all the best. You know, he mentioned the Phasic Tipton digital sales, and I, I got to get those guys back on the show here again at Phasic Tipton because that is such a brilliant idea, and every sale continues to get better and better and better and, and, and gain more traction, and it's becoming you know, almost like the way to buy horses now. And as Ramiro pointed out, here he is sitting in Dubai. You're, you're always connected with the way that the world is today. And I, I think that was part of the thought process behind creating the digital sales at Phasic. And it's a wonderful platform. You can go to their website to read more about it, but we'll do that down the road. But my thanks to Ramiro. And again, Victory Avenue, not going to run in today's Fountain of Youth. And that is uh, a bit disappointing because I really thought, he was a major player in that race, but he had to prove it too, right? He was stepping up. He's still a maiden. He had to prove that he belonged, but you listen to Ramiro talk about him. He certainly felt like he did, and they were going to find out today what they had on their hands, but that will have to wait for another day. When I come back, I'll turn our attention to New York and the Gotham. I'll talk to trainer Butch Reed, who is always dangerous every time he sends a horse into New York, no matter what the odds say. I'll talk to Butch next, but first, your legends of the turf and a short commercial break. He was the son of Forley out of Lady Golconda by Hasty Road and was foaled in 1970, the same year as Secretariat. But while Secretariat began showing championship medal as soon as he began to train, this horse was very rapidly acquiring a marked reputation as an unmanageable rogue. He was a huge colt who very early on displayed an ungentlemanly interest in fillies. Further, he had the dangerous and painful habit of savaging any individual who dared come close enough to him. His owners, the Lazy F. French, had him gilded to try to correct the problem, and though that surgical process made him at least trainable, he never got to the racetrack till he was three. He broke his maiden in his second start and had second-place finishes in the Hutchinson Stakes and the Florida Derby. But he ran a distant fourth while priced at 28-1 to to Secretariat, and that Colts record-smashing one in the Kentucky Derby. This horse came into his zone in his sophomore season on the track in the fall, with convincing scores in the Romer and the Discovery Handicaps at Aqueduct, and that, as the saying goes, was the start of something big indeed. At four, his star shone brightly in the heavens of thoroughbred racing. He began that campaign with four straight wins. He was a strikingly handsome, huge bay, standing 17-plus hands, and one could easily pick him out of a crowd of horses at any distance. He did have a gift. A gift for the crowd-pleasing late charge had made him very popular with the public, and horsemen were awed by his incredible versatility. At the conclusion of his four-year-old campaign, he won the 12 furlong Woodward by a neck, and three weeks later came back to soundly whip the nation's premier sprinters and the seven furlong Vosburgh handicap, winning it by three. And just three weeks after that, he rolled to a devastating win over a solid field of nine distance horses in the grueling two-mile Jockey Club Gold Cup. In that year of 1974, he won three Eclipse Awards, Best Older Horse or Gelding, Best Sprinter, and Horse of the Year. He followed that year with two other scores as Horse of the Year, both in 1975 and 1976. In both those years, he won two legs of the Handicap Triple Crown. 
The second year, just missing the triple and losing by a heartbreaking nose to foolish pleasure in the Suburban. His 1976 campaign, his final on the racetrack, found him chalking up one of the most remarkable victories in the chronicled annals of racing in the Marlboro Cup. Honest pleasure was in receipt of 18 pounds from this horse, who was burdened with a weighty impost of 137 pounds. Honest pleasure moved out to what appeared to be an insurmountable lead in that 10 furlong test. At the top of the stretch, you couldn't find our horse of the day with a proverbial searchlight. But on a sloppy track, Bill Shoemaker turned him loose and he gobbled up huge chunks of real estate in an absolutely breathtaking run that made him appear as though literally shot from a cannon. He got up to win it in the very last stride by a head and a heart-stopping charge to the wire. He was finally forced into retirement by a bad ankle, but not before he had answered the call to post 57 times and winning 34 of those and being in the money on 50 of those occasions. 50 for 57 in the money. Remarkable. That great thoroughbred who turned from rogue to champion and was, in every sense of the word, a people's horse was forego. You're listening to HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile, the Grade 1 Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They're a quarter of a mile from home. Maximus Mischief taxes, putting the heat on at the top of the stretch. Maximus Mischief is asked to run now, gets a reminder and opens up a length. Tax is second, five back to network effect in third, followed by Bourbon War. They're coming to the 16th pole, and it's Maximus Mischief proving he's the real deal as he opens up late. A belated rally from Network Effect, Maximus Mischief wins the Remsen. Network Effect found his best ride late to finish second. Then it was Tax and Bourbon War. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you as always on this Saturday morning. Good visit with Ramiro Strepo in the previous previous segment. You got a chance to hear from Frank Miramati right there with the call of Maximus Mischief winning the Remsen Stakes in 2018 for Butch Reed. Butch Reed is back in today's Gotham Stakes at Aqueduct with a three-year-old son of Maximus Mischief. That is Maximus Meridus. Big long shot, 20-1 to on the morning line, but comes out of a really stellar victory, winning by three-and-a-half lengths at Parks going six and a half furlongs on a muddy surface. That was back at the end of January. We'll have to take a couple steps forward in order to compete with this group in the Gotham today. But Butch Reed is one of those trainers that when he sends horses 
to New York. He's he's based in Pennsylvania, but when he sends horses to New York, he's one that you always have to keep an eye on. And his horses his horses always come loaded for bear. They're always ready to run. And I would expect nothing different from Maximus Meridus, who at a big price is one that you should probably be taking a look at, at least in terms of your exacta trifecta superfecta wagers. Wouldn't shock me a bit to see this horse run huge and hoping to catch up with Butch Reed here momentarily. We are in the process of reaching out to him now to see if we can get him on the show. He, uh, you know, of course, this time of the morning for trainers, I tell you all the time, very busy time and things happen and they get tied up. So let's hope we can get a, a hold of Butch here shortly and we'll get a chance to talk to him about Maximus Meredith. Told you earlier that Slider for West Point Thoroughbreds would not be going in today's Gotham Stakes. And Slider was a an interesting horse because he had run against Muth in the San Vicente on January 6th at Santa Anita. Went to the front that day, set the fractions, backed up and finished third, third of six, beaten two and three-quarter lengths. He's a winner on the a stakes winner on the grass. He did that in the speakeasy stakes at Santa Anita on October 7th. Again, showing good speed early, able to fend off all challengers and get the victory that day. I was really curious to see what he would do stretching out to a mile, one-turn mile, in this Gotham Stakes. And unfortunately now, we're not going to have the opportunity to see that with Slider. The poll question this morning, it involves the Gotham Stakes. It involves actually all of the greatest stakes or all the derby points races that are taking place this weekend. There are four of those. And I was asking you, which of those races is more likely to produce the winner of the Kentucky Derby. Is it the Gotham? Is it the Fountain of Youth in Florida? The San Felipe at Santa Anita? Or is it the John Battaglia Memorial at Turfway Park? I have a feeling a lot of people are going to overlook that race. But there's some nice horses in there too. So which of those races more likely to produce the winner of the Kentucky Derby? Keep the votes coming at HRRN. On our Twitter page, you can go to Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, too, to let me know your thoughts there. If you don't do social media, email the show, mike at horseracingradio.net. Butch Reed is indeed with us now. Butch, good morning, my friend. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good, good. I appreciate a little bit of time. I'm sure it's a busy morning for you. I was just looking back on the big win by Maximus Mischief in 2018 in the Remsen, and now getting a chance to talk about his three-year-old son, Maximus Meridus, going in the Gotham today. Uh, all in the family for this one, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure, you know, being able to train uh, Maximus and then uh, getting to look at some of his babies. So we've got a half a dozen or eight of them coming in every year, and we're actually running two up there today. We're running uh, Carmelina and the uh, Busher, who's also a Maximus uh, mischief. So, it's been quite a pleasure you know, watching the babies come along, and he was a pleasure to train, and so are his babies. We'll start with the Gotham. Why does Maximus Meridus belong in the Gotham Stakes today, in your opinion? Well, he's always been a straightforward horse, you know, and we've loved him from the beginning. Uh, you know, he's even a couple of times he's messed up a little bit there and kind of lost concentration. That's why we added blinkers to him. And we, I think he's just been waiting to go longer, too. We We've uh, sprinted him uh, three times just to make sure he's got himself together, and uh, he's coming up to this point in, in fine shape, and uh, he's, uh, I think he's just been waiting for the extra ground. I think the extra ground will do nothing but uh, 
help this horse out. You say you sprinted him three times just to make sure he, he had his stuff together. What, explain that theory and, and that approach to, to training these young horses, Butch. Yeah, well, his first start was pretty, you know, I don't want to say easy, but it was pretty easy on him. You know, he didn't really, he won, uh, I think, by 10 or over 10 lengths. And then he came back and he was, you know, a lot of, like a lot of them will do in their second start. He looked a little confused. He looked around a little bit. And before we took the next step on, we wanted to make sure he, he had himself together and we were doing all the right thing by him. It's not only a learning process for him, but a learning process for us. So we uh, changed the equipment, put a set of blinkers on him in the morning, and it seemed to really help with his focus and then uh, paid dividends in the race too. So, uh, you know, before you take each step, you want to make sure he clears whatever hurdle you're at and, and learns from it and then you before you move forward. This seems like a really nice progression, too. You give him the three sprint races, now he goes a mile, but it's a one-turn mile in the Gotham. That It just seems tailor-made to me. Absolutely, you know, and that's what we were thinking. I was thinking that went into this start. You know, we had some other races in mind, but uh, before we went two turns, we thought we'd stretch him out. He's got good natural speed, so he's, I think I'll be forwardly placed today, uh, especially breaking from the inside post like he has to today with such a bulky field that, uh, uh, he'll be forwardly placed. He's got good natural speed, and uh, hopefully it'll carry uh, carry them on. You're so familiar with this family, Butch. Does he remind you of his father in any way? Oh, well, you know, well, Maximus, the, the father stamps them all out. They all kind of have that white blaze, <laughs> and a lot of them look alike. But uh, Maximus was a really big horse, you know, and this horse is not quite as big, but has all the natural talent. His father was the same way from – you know, from day one when he got on a racetrack, you could see he was something special, and uh, so hopefully so with this horse as well. I said earlier, Butch, as we were we were reaching out to you, that whenever you send horses from your base in Pennsylvania to New York, it just seems like they're ready to run. I don't care what the tote board says or the morning line says. It just seems like they're ready to run. Why is that? Why do you think that you've had so much success shipping to New York and running in these big races? Well, it's an, it's a, they're a good combination of racetracks. It actually has, to, I think, at least somewhat to do with the racetrack services where uh, Park's down here where he trains every day and, and make most of their starts with these horses is a little deeper. And uh, I think it gets them a little of that little bit of extra fitness that they need when they and when they get up to especially Aqueduct, which the, uh, uh, the track is generally nice and firm and they get a good hold of it. So I think they, they get that little bit of extra fitness away after the depth of the uh, track here at parks it does a you know it does really wonders for them uh, when you ship out of here and they do well so and it's nice to have good quality horses too that's the first step in the uh, whole process and that starts with the owners and uh, everybody involved so you know you still got to run and uh, we've been very fortunate that the horses have come out of here and the fact that it's a short ship it only takes you know the horses today have already been up there for several hours they're up there relaxing and uh, ready for this afternoon's uh, activity you mentioned Carmelina in the busher. You have another good one there. She's six to one on the morning line, but she's making her second trip to New York. You sent her last year after her maiden victory to the Schuylerville at Saratoga. She ended up finishing fifth that day, and there haven't been many blemishes on her resume. She always seems to show up and run well. This is her three-year-old debut. What are you seeing from Carmelina coming into this race? Uh, very hard trier, you know, and, you know, we said we're, we're kind of abusive to her as a two-year-old. She's, as you said, she shipped all over the Northeast corridor here and uh, ran well at every racetrack we took to her, took her to. So, uh, you know, she obviously doesn't have to carry a racetrack with her. Very solid filly, not, not the biggest filly ever, but 
you know, has got a great disposition about her and uh, I think is another one who's got the right head on her shoulders to uh, handle the uh, extra distance, and I think she should uh, give a good account of herself today. You, you've said this about both horses now. You said a right head on their shoulders, and I've talked about that many times on the program, but let's hear it from you, Butch. You're the expert. Um, that mental aspect with these young horses, I, I guess any horse really, how important is it to have a horse that has it together mentally as well as physically? Well, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. I mean, it's not only part of it. I mean, it's the whole thing, especially when you're looking to stretch to uh, longer distances. Is their respiration going to stay slow enough to where they can, you know, get the extra distance with the oxygen-carrying abilities? And uh, it's very important that they have a nice head on their shoulders. Don't get too flustered by anything they see, especially in this day and age where you have to, go to different racetracks and ship and uh, handle a lot of different things are thrown out of these, these Maximus horses seem to do it very well, very nice, calm horses and uh, act good in the paddock before the race and uh, don't leave the race on the, uh, in the paddock. So uh, it's very, very important factor and uh, they're where their headspace is at when they get there. Is there anything you do, Butch, with your program, maybe in the mornings with these young horses to get them ready for that scene they're going to experience when they get to the races? Well, you, you know, you do all the school and you can, and, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. It's, it takes experience. And uh, the main thing is training them well, training them consistent training every day, showing them everything that you possibly can show them, training them in company. And, uh, you know, and plus you can't say enough about the, uh, you know, we use Barry Eisman down in Ocala who gets them ready with the early, you know, we're actually talking about some of the two-year-olds right? We're going to start bringing up the two-year-olds, but Gary doesn't, or Barry does an excellent job getting them ready, doing the preliminary work. So they're, you know, they're not they're not afraid of anything when they get here. They've got a good head on their shoulders, and they're ready for whatever you throw at them. Well, I mentioned your horses are always ready to run when they come to New York. That was the case with Uncle Heavy in the Withers. That was a impressive performance that day. Really gutsy effort that day. Um, give me an update on Uncle Heavy. What's going on with him? Uncle Heavy's doing really well. I, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you know that he ran into a little bit of a quarantine situation mm-hmm. after he ran in the uh, in the withers. So he had to go to the farm for three weeks, which was a little nerve-wracking because any trainer always wants their horse right in front of them and be able to see them every day. But uh, he had to go to the farm for three weeks. And, and in, in the long run, I think it turned out to be a, a godsend because he came in uh, here last week. He's been traveling great over the track. The girl at the farm did a tremendous job with him. He's put on a little weight, and he just right, got right back into his routine when like, he hasn't missed a beat. And he got an opportunity to get away from the rigmarole of the racetrack for a couple of weeks. So I think in the long run, it may pay dividends because he's been uh, real happy, and he came back. He looks fantastic. He's got, probably got a breeze coming up here in the next uh, 10 days or so, and uh, he's, we couldn't be any happier with how he's doing. What's his next goal? Uh, Wood Memorial. So. Uh, we had some thought of maybe getting another start into him, but with the uh, with the quarantine, it kind of uh, backed us up a little bit. So the wood fits in there perfect, and it's a mile and eighth, which we've already done. So uh, the wood will be his next spot. Well, Butch, all the best coming up later today and with Uncle Heavy uh, pointing for the Wood Memorial. And I uh, really appreciate the time here this morning. I know it's busy for you, and I appreciate you taking a few minutes. Uh, thanks so much. Yep, we'll be jumping on the car and getting on the road here in a little bit. So, <laughs> looking forward to it. All Go right. get them. Thank you so much. All right, trainer Butch Reed here on HRRN. Uh, yeah, his horses just come loaded for bear every time they go to New York, and Uncle Heavy was no exception. Big long shot 
um, but ran his eyeballs out that day in the withers. And then those three weeks on the farm, not ideal. You don't want to straw on your path trying to get down the road to the Kentucky Derby, but they'll take their next shot, really their final shot, before the Kentucky Derby and the Wood Memorial and see if he runs another big race there and they can punch their ticket to Churchill Downs. And, it, you know, you have to wonder, maybe that should have been a good follow-up question for Butch, but if, if he would run well in the Wood Memorial, does that time off then maybe benefit him a little bit going into the Kentucky Derby? He comes in there as a, a very fresh horse at that point, and he will have proven that his Withers victory was no fluke if he runs well in the wood. So maybe that is a silver lining, and that's the way Butch, as you could hear, is trying to look at that right now with Uncle Heavy, but he'll have to deliver next time out uh, in the wood. When I come back, it is time for this week's edition of Calling All Three-Year-Olds, presented by Spendthrift, and then I will get you ready for a very busy second hour of the program and tell you what's ahead in hour number three. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Fans, due to the prospect of heavy rain, all of Saturday's races, including the 87th running of the Grade 1 Santa Anita Handicap, presented by Yamava Resort and Casino, the Grade 1 Kilroe Mile, the Grade 2 DK Horse San Felipe, and the Grade 2 Buena Vista Stakes, will now be run this Sunday with first post time at 12.30 p.m. And please note, Santa Anita will be open for simulcast wagering on Saturday. In addition to world-class racing on Sunday, our spacious infield will reopen to the public and our infield family fun zone is back as well enter via gate six off of colorado place fans are advised that santa anita will also conduct live racing on monday with first post time at 12 30 p.m and we will also offer free parking and admission monday as well as three dollar beers and five dollar margaritas santa anita it's the great race place The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. 
Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They're all in line. And they're off. Spendthrift Farm presents Calling All Three-Year-Olds with Bobby Newman. There were two big stakes for Kentucky Derby hopefuls last week. At Oaklawn, the Grade 2 Rebel Stakes saw the return of Brad Cox's Timberlake. The son of Into Mischief scored a two-length win as the 4-5 to five betting favorite, earning over $618,000 as well as 50 Derby qualifying points. He should show up in the Arkansas Derby or Bluegrass Stakes next. The Saudi Derby wasn't a points qualifier, but top two finishers Forever Young and Bookham Dano both ran very well. They figured to renew acquaintances in the UAE Derby next month, and that race is a points qualifier. There are four important stakes for three-year-olds this weekend. At Gulfstream, the Grade 2 Fountain of Youth matches graded stakes winners Dornick and Locked against some talented newer faces in Speakeasy and Victory Avenue. It looks like the best field of three-year-olds so far this year. At Aqueduct, the Grade 3 Gotham brings together a big field of 13 that includes stakes winners El Grandeo, Bergen, and Slider, as well as impressive recent maiden winners Just a Touch and Capital Idea. Very tough handicapping puzzle. The John Battaglia Memorial is the turfway feature and the major local stepping stone toward next month's Jeff Ruby Stakes. Epic Ride leads a full field in pursuit of the 20 Kentucky Derby points. Lastly, at San Anita, the Great 2 San Felipe will be run tomorrow instead of today. Undefeated Nisos can't earn Kentucky Derby points, but he'll be tough to beat in a short field of five. I'll be back with this week's top five list right after this word from Spendthrift. Cyberknife was a very talented horse from day one. Fast horse, able to carry it around two turns. Looks a tremendous amount like Gunrunner, same ability and talent. Holds the track record in the Haskell. He won it in impressive fashion, beating a very good group of horses. Excited about him passing on his durability, his soundness, and his talent. He could definitely be a breed shaping stallion. Multiple grade one winner Cyberknife standing at Spendthrift. This week's top five list of three year olds looks like this. Number five, Locked. Pletcher trainee had a slight fever and missed some training and scheduled start in the Sam Davis. Plan B is today's Fountain of Youth. Number four, Dornuck. He was tenacious in his Remsen win. He also goes today in the Fountain of Youth. Number three, Forever Young. The Japan-paced runner is undefeated and won the Saudi Derby on pure guts, planning for the UAE Derby on March 30th, then on to Kentucky. Number two, Sierra Leone won the Risen Star despite possibly not liking the wet track aiming for the bluegrass at Keeneland on April the 6th. And number one is Nisos. The Baffert trainee is three for three, very likely the best three-year-old in the country so far and should be heavily favored in tomorrow's San Felipe. That's your Calling All Three-Year-Olds segment presented by Spendthrift, the Breeders' Farm.
and plenty of derby action coming up this afternoon and tomorrow with four derby points races scheduled. The Gotham Fountain of Youth San Felipe, John Battaglia Memorial, and that is the poll question this morning. Which of these races is more likely to produce the Kentucky Derby winner? And so far, it ain't even close. 73% of you saying it is the Fountain of Youth that is going to produce the Derby winner, if indeed the Derby winner comes from one of those races. Um, yeah, really interesting because, I, and I think that's a pretty obvious answer there. And as I said, the San Felipe may have been more obvious if horses like Nisos were eligible to compete in the Kentucky Derby. But as we know, that is not the case. Um, Keith chimes in on social media and says, I think the best horse may be in the San Felipe but we know why he won't win the Kentucky Derby, so I'm going with the Fountain of Youth. Uh, Tom in St. Louis emails the show, which is another way you can let me know your thoughts on this poll question, and he says, Fierceness will win the Derby, and he goes on to say, to answer the poll question, I will answer the Fountain of Youth as Locked is the pick. Locked is one of the three most talented three-year-old horses in the country. Tom, appreciate the email. If you want to Weigh in on the poll question. Email the show, Mike, at horseracingradio.net or go to our Twitter page, at HRRN, and you can go to Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, too, to let me know which of those races you feel is most likely to produce a Kentucky Derby winner. All right, hour number two begins momentarily. It begins with Elliot Walden, the CEO of Windstar, who will look back on Timberlake's huge win last weekend at Oaklawn Park. He'll look ahead to today's stakes races at Gulfstream as well as Windstar will be well represented. John White comes up at 9.35 Eastern. You won't want to miss that conversation with the morning line odds maker at Santa Anita. And then Hour 3 has more special content. I'm going to tell you all about that when we come back. But first, a 10-second pause for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Busy first hour of the show. Welcome back to hour number two of the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch. If you missed any portion of the first hour of the program, my conversation with Ramiro Restrepo, who broke the news here this morning that Victory Avenue will scratch from today's Fountain of View stakes. I know a lot of people were liking Victory Avenue in that spot, but he is not going to compete after not eating all of his feed last night. And that really was the reason. It, he was fine physically. He was fine mentally. He just didn't eat his feed. Something was a little off. And in you know an abundance of uh, precaution, as we like to say, they are not going to run Victory Avenue in the Fountain of Youth later today. Also had a chance to hear from trainer Butch Reed talking about the Gotham Stakes and the Busher Stakes at Aqueduct today. If you missed any of that, head back to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can listen to the podcast whenever you get some time. And you can do that not just with this show, but with all the programs we bring your way each and every week. It's all there for you, horseracingradio.net and Horse Racing Radio Network on every podcast platform. So uh, check it out and follow along all year long. Again, Elliot Walden set to join us here momentarily. Really looking forward to this visit. Speak Easy is their horse in today's Fountain of Youth, and he's the horse that beat Victory Avenue last time out. So he is uh, scheduled to go, and we'll see if he lives up to the hype. He was certainly impressive 
in his debut. John White going to be with me at 9.35 Eastern to talk about the races coming up at Santa Anita tomorrow. The big cap card shifted to Sunday because of the rains in Southern California. So I'll get a chance to talk to John. Plus, by the way, John, the newest member of the Washington State Horse Racing Hall of Fame. He is a Washington bred himself, and he is now inducted into their Hall of Fame, rightfully so. Really looking forward to that visit at 935. 10 Eastern, the Twin Spires Triple Play. Vance Hansen will give you three races to keep an eye on later today. Kurt Becker strolled through racing history at 1020, and at 1030, I ask, they answer with Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin tackling some of the sport's hottest topics. Kind of a, a fun show there today. I'm including a brand new segment called Who Did It Best? Looking back on some historical occurrences which took place on this particular weekend in racing history. And we'll compare who did it best, horses, jockeys, and looking forward to their thoughts there. And then I laid this out at the top of the show, but when you think about the horses that have won the Fountain of Youth and the Kentucky Derby, pulled off that double, and the horses that have won the San Felipe and the Kentucky Derby, and then the Gotham and the Kentucky Derby, if you were to put all those horses together in – a mile and a quarter race on the first Saturday in May at Churchill Downs. Well, who would win it? But here's your Fountain of Youth horses as we await Elliot Walden here, who's set to join us momentarily. Tim Tam, Kawai King, Spectacular Bid, Thunder Gulch, and Orb. All of those horses won the Fountain of Youth and the Kentucky Derby. The San Felipe, Determined, Affirmed, Sunday Silence, Fusaichi Pegasus, California Chrome, and Authentic. And only one horse won the Gotham and won the Kentucky Derby, and he turned out to be, eh, okay. His name was Secretariat. So if you were putting all those horses together in a dream race, a dream Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs, who's going to win it? Are you taking Big Red, or are you going to take the field? You got a triple crown a triple crown winner and affirmed in the field. You got Spectacular Bid, the greatest horse ever to look through a bridle. Fusaichi Pegasus, Sunday Silence, Thunder Gulch, who are you going with? I think it's a really interesting debate. Go ahead and send that your answers to me, Mike, at horseracingradio.net, and I'll pass those along later in the program. But when Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin join me at the end of the show, 1030 Eastern, I'll ask them that same question and see what they have to say. Elliot Walden is with me now. Elliot, what do you think? Are you going to take Big Red or are you going to take the field? I'll take Big Red. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You can't – you know this as a, a huge sports guy. It's hard to compare – teams from different eras right so you start looking at those other horses that didn't run in big reds era and it's hard to make the comparisons but i I said earlier big red was just simply faster than all those horses and that's just he was data he's amazing amazing really a lot of a lot of you know i think there's a lot of people uh want to you know, follow horse racing because they watched him run. And that's a sign of sign of a great horse. What what was the first time you remember seeing Secretariat? I remember the well, I was just ten. Yeah. Um and I remember uh the Belmont was probably the most impressive kind of, you know, m- made me stop and, and, and think about it. I mean, I obviously watched him win the Derby, watched him win the Preakness, but when he won the Belmont, you know, you knew that, that it was 
something special. I didn't really get into his two-year-old uh, year that much, but uh, it was incredible. Well, you've got some incredible three-year-olds that are wearing those Windstar colors now, including Speak Easy, who is going in the Fountain of Youth. I want to talk about Timberlake last weekend as well because he was ultra-impressive, but let's start with Speak Easy. Ramiro was on the show with me in the first hour of the program. He made the announcement that Victory Avenue is not going to go in the Fountain of Youth. That's the horse that Speak Easy defeated last time out, and a lot of people were on Victory Avenue and on Speak Easy because his debut, man, Elliot, that was impressive. Yeah, it, it really was, and, and um, you know, it'll be interesting. Hopefully he can come back and repeat that performance. I also heard Locks scratched as well. Mm. Todd just called me um, 15 minutes ago. So, you know, it'll be an interesting race. Um, I'm glad we chose the, the Fountain of Youth instead of the allowance race now. Didn't have any of that information a day ago, but, uh, um, you know, now, looking at it, 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 it looks like he's very live in there. Talk about making that decision before you knew that these other horses were going to defect. Well, the, the, the thinking on it was that kind of preferred the, the distance, a mile and the 16th to a mile and an eighth. Felt like Shug's horse, who ran very well, was a legitimate horse as well, especially at a mile and an eighth. So, Either race was going to be was going to be a very competitive situation, and just felt like with the one hole and having I read in both spots, um, you don't get too many chances to win a fountain of youth, and and uh, you know even if he hit the board, um, we would we, we considered that a success. We weren't it wasn't about chasing points. It's 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 about the opportunity of trying to win a graded stake. Um, and, you know, I think that um, hopefully he'll run well today and, and we'll see him repeat his performance. You never know with first-time starters. Uh, he ran a, a, a really good race and was ran very fast. It'll be interesting to see how that seems like he'll, he'll translate to two turns. Constitution didn't have any problem doing it. His, his mother was, was grade one placed around two turns, so – um, yeah, we'll see how, how it plays out today. Excited to, excited for the day. Great day of racing. Yeah, it's a fantastic day of racing, and I want to get to some of the other horses that you're running on the Fountain of Youth undercard as well. But what, what's the one thing that's really impressed you about Speakeasy, maybe even going back to when he first started training? Well, he, he, is, uh, he was a horse that just always is very athletic. Um, Mm-hmm. Not a not not the biggest horse in the world, very well balanced, but always light on his feet. Um, you know, even was down and watched him gallop yesterday, and as he came by, you know, you hear some horses clump, clump, clump into the racetrack, and when he came by, you just don't even hear him hit the ground. So he's just very athletic, and I think that's that's something that um, that he. Um, you know, was was something that was apparent from the beginning. You know, Elliot, I, I think back on your career before you joined Windstar, and when, even when you were training horses, and you know, you, you nearly won the couple the the Kentucky Derby on a couple of occasions, Victory Gallop, Menifee, um, and, and now that you've been with Windstar, you've had so much success, and it seems like every year we're talking about Windstar being a major player on the road to the Kentucky Derby and in the Kentucky Derby itself. 
do you, do you approach it differently now? Do you approach the road to the Derby differently now than you did back in the late 90s when you were training? Yeah, you know, I look back at uh, um, what, you know, just, just, just looking back and looking at the past performances, we did run a lot more. Um, there's no question. You know, I mean, Victory Gallup was one of the first horses um, to, to only have two preps into the Derby, and now that's a now thing. Now, that was not by design. I wasn't smart enough for that. He just didn't get ready until the Rebel. Um, he had had some time off after his two-year-old year, and, and we had bought him from Mary Epler in, in Maryland. And he um, he ran uh, in Virginia and, uh, and, and had a little time off, nothing major. Then he had a setback in January um, to where he needed a little time. He had uh, uh, just a little filling behind the knee. And um, um, and so we had to give him a couple weeks off, and I moved him to the fairgrounds from Payson Park because that track was deep, and, and I thought that might have caused that a little bit, a little hyperextension. So it, it just took us a little longer to get him to the races. But he, uh, he ran twice and then ran great through the Triple Crown, and now everybody's only running twice. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. But we ran him a lot more. I look at, you know, I, we used to run every every two or three weeks. Yeah, we always heard you needed that foundation, right? Yeah, and, and it's it's just interesting. It's just different, you know. And, and um, you know, I do think horses probably run a little more consistent if they've got a little more time between races. Um, you know, you think about a, a bounce theory and, and things like that. If, they're, if they have plenty of time between races, they pretty much, I think they run their race more often. Um don't bounce quite as much, but, um, you know, when you're running them back every two or three weeks there, you might have a difference between performances. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. You don't get as many opportunities. And so therefore you might go in the fountain of youth instead of an allowance race, um, because of it. Talking with Elliot Walden, the CEO of Windstar speak easy going in the fountain of youth. Elliot, you also have a manual coming back in the Canadian turf. Tell me a little bit more about a manual coming into this race. He's training great. Um, he's been working with a horse named Wit, who Todd's running on the same card. They've worked like four times together. Two classy horses, um, and and really happy with the way he's training. Um, he does seem to run well fresh, uh, and he runs well at Gulfstream. So expect a big effort. I, you know, it's a tough race for 150,000, but you have a horse like a tone in there who won a Pegasus turf a couple of years ago, but, uh, you know, he's a nice horse. He's doing well and he runs well fresh. So we expect a big effort. Yeah. The defending champion, uh, coming back, he's two to one on the morning line and highly regarded again as he gets ready to kick off his five-year-old campaign this afternoon, Emmanuel, uh, in that Canadian turf. How about Timberlake? That was pretty good last weekend, huh? Super excited. Uh, nice to see him come back. Sometimes, you know, two-year-olds don't don't turn into three-year-olds, and it was nice to see him put forth a good effort. I think it was a, a very good effort without being a, a, a race that would move him backwards. I think he'll move forward off of it. 
a little green in the stretch and and uh you know, I think that he he can he can move forward off that. I asked you what's impressed you most about Speakeasy. How about Timberlake? Timberlake was always a big strong um colt that that was very forward. Um despite his size, he's he's probably 16-1. Despite his size, he was very forward. Uh, he wasn't a big dope. Sometimes you get those big horses that are backwards. He was always very forward. He probably gets that from into mischief. And, you know, uh, he's got a great European pedigree, a lot of stamina on the bottom side, but he always acted like one of the, one of the, one of the kids that was, was, was mature. So he got started pretty early. In fact, he's had plenty of starts for a horse that, uh, you know, uh, in, in this day and era, we're talking about. He had five starts at two, and and uh, and 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 got started. So he's 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 a he's a really good horse. Um, I'm excited to see how it plays out over the next couple months, and um, we're we're really excited. And he stays at Oaklawn for his next start too. Not sure either Oaklawn or the Bluegrass. One of the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad, you know, we're talking and and see see how it plays out. See how he comes back. You've got, you know, the nice thing about the Rebels, it's nine weeks before the Derby, so you can either go four and five or five and four to one of those two races. So he came out of the race well. Um, we're just going to kind of play it over the next couple of weeks and, and then decide. Elliot, I want to shift gears for just a minute here before we wrap things up and, and get you on your way. I had mentioned when I reached out to you, to join me on the program, the, the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development and Breeders Incentive Funds are sponsoring a new weekly segment here on the Equine Forum, and it's called Kentucky Bread. You, of course, are Kentucky Bread, um, and it gives me an opportunity very quickly to remind listeners that awards up to $3,000 a race are available from the Kentucky Breeders Incentive Fund for winning an allowance or maiden special weight race anywhere in the USA or at Woodbine and up to $4,000 a race available for winning a non-graded stakes anywhere in the USA or at Woodbine. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I'll talk more about some of the other incentives here in just a minute. In your position, Elliot, as the CEO of Windstar, one of the leading owners, leading breeders in the game, I'm sure you're very much aware of all that Kentucky has to offer right now. And boy, is it good. Oh, it's incredible. Um, you know, the, the, the incentive fund that, um, that you're talking about, uh, can really add up. I mean, I think a lot of people look at other state bred programs and think, oh, wow, um, that's good. You know, say New York and it's a solid program. Um, but the thing about Kentucky is, um, is the, is you can run anywhere. And, and get the incentives that you were just alluding to. Um, you know, it's, it helps a, a great deal with, I mean, we have a tremendous amount of expenses, um, at the farm. Um, and, you know, when you're raising 150 horses a year, um, you know, we have 200 team members, um, the feed bills and the, and the hay bills and, and everything else. So it really helps to, to, to get that incentive and, and, and get it back. We're, we're one of the top five, I think, in that fund because we have so many horses that we breed. But, uh, it is, it is, a, it is a serious amount of money that, that really goes a long way to help, help just 
regenerate and help us stay in the game to, to produce more and to give more jobs and, and, and all that goes with it. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up the breeding side of things because over the past few weeks I have visited with trainers. Brad Cox was one. He, he kicked off this segment. He also is Kentucky bred, and he talked about how it benefits him as a trainer and his owners benefit from all the funds that are available. Uh, as a breeder, when you're talking to prospective mare owners about breeding to the Windstar Stallions, do, do you use all of the – the money available for Kentucky Bretts is kind of a, a selling tool, if you will. Does it work like that? Well, you no, know, we haven't, and we, might, and we might ought to consider that. But the thing about the Kentucky program that I think makes the most sense is it is, it is the only program in America that is, is truly incentivizing you to breed a better horse and not a lesser horse. Um, you know, you, you go to these other state bred programs and, um, you want to try, you know, I see people trying to get as cheap a mare as possible to try to win as much money through the New York bred program as possible. That doesn't work in Kentucky because we're, we're trying to, we're the lifeblood of the breeding industry. And you better try to breed a good horse, not an average horse, or, you know, you're not. And so anytime you try to do something that's average, it, it, in the long run, it doesn't work. And and so, you know, the thing about Kentucky is it's competitive. It It is uh, not state restrictive. So you can, you can win races in other states. Now, you have tremendous purse incentives to run in the state. And they are dynamic as well. I mean, my dad was one of the ones that, that, that got the KDTF started back in the 70s. And, you know, it, it's truly working as an incentive to – I know that as a racing manager, I think all along and hard about where these horses are running so that we can hopefully uh, incentivize, you know, get the incentives in Kentucky. So it's it definitely plays into my decision-making about where to place these horses. You know, your announcement of the name image likeness deal with University of Kentucky basketball star Reed Shepard couldn't have come at a better time this week, and that's really cool. I'm so glad to see your partnership there. Yeah, it's a great, you know, he he fits what we're about at Windstar. I said that in the press release. Yep. Um, you know, just his 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 uh, willingness to pass the ball, his will, you know, just looking at him as a character, uh, I'm very impressed with Reed. And, you know, he's got his head on straight. Um, and so we wanted to, to be a part of that. And uh, I, I saw where somebody said, well, why would you advertise a horse with, with, with a player? It seems like that's just putting money in his pocket. Well, no, it, it's, it's really about the, the, just what he stands for. And it's important for us at Winstar to 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 stand for the right things. And so, Reed is a guy who goes out, works hard, does all the little things, pays attention to the details, and and so uh, it's a it's a win win. And you know, life is good is a is an exemplary horse, tremendously talented, four grade ones, high caliber athlete, just like Reed, and. Uh, you know, we're excited about, about the partnership. And they, they, his mom and dad are first rate. I yep. mean, the whole family is incredible. Yep, I think it's a wonderful tie-in, and congratulations on getting that done and uh, looking forward to seeing more 
Windstar ads with Reed Shepard there too. F- fantastic stuff. Elliot, as always, appreciate the time. Best of luck today. Best of luck with Timberlake and all the horses that you're going to have going down the road to the Oaks and the Derby and, and all the other big races too because Windstar is prominent everywhere. So all the best, my friend, and uh, I'll look forward to catching up again down the road. Thanks, Mike, and I hope everybody uh, has a great day. It's a great day of racing from New York to Florida to California. So enjoy it, and uh, let's have a great day. All right, buddy. Elliot Walden here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Join me next Saturday here on Equine Forum for another edition of Kentucky Bread presented by the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development and Breeders Incentive Funds, providing awards of up to $5,000 and $7,500 for winning a grade one, grade two, or grade three race anywhere in the USA and in multiple countries, and awards of $200,000 allocated to the top 20 claiming horses in Kentucky with the most claiming wins in the Bluegrass State. Breed them, raise them, race them. We all win with Kentucky Breads. When I come back, I'll get you ready for the rest of the program. I'll update you on the poll question and tell you a little bit more about that special honor that John White is going to receive. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Fans, due to the prospect of heavy rain, all of Saturday's races, including the 87th running of the Grade 1 Santa Anita Handicap, presented by Yamava Resort and Casino, the Grade 1 Kilroe Mile, the Grade 2 DK Horse San Felipe, and the Grade 2 Buena Vista Stakes, will now be run this Sunday with first post time at 12.30 p.m. And please note, Santa Anita will be open for simulcast wagering on Saturday. In addition to world-class racing on Sunday, our spacious infield will reopen to the public and our infield family fun zone is back as well enter via gate six off of colorado place fans are advised that santa anita will also conduct live racing on monday with first post time at 12 30 p.m and we will also offer free parking and admission monday as well as three dollar beers and five dollar margaritas santa anita it's the great race place You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Play little bit clubhouse turn. Bishop's choice gets the lead three parts of a length. Rivalier of alongside his second. Spectacular bid third. Spectacular bid opens up two and a half lengths. A lot of gold begins to move on the outside of his second. Rivalier third. Bishop's choice fourth. Now with an eighth of a mile to go, it's spectacular bid, showing the way by four lengths. Lot of gold second, Rivalero third, Bishop's choice fourth. Through the stretch, spectacular bid opening up the lead and going away by six. How cool is that? The 1979 running of the Fountain of Youth won by spectacular bid, one of... A handful of horses to win both the Fountain of Youth and the Kentucky Derby. And I was talking before Elliot joined me as... If you were to put all those horses, along with the winners of the San Felipe and the Kentucky Derby, into the starting gate with Big Red Secretariat, who's the only horse ever to win the Gotham and the Kentucky Derby, who would you take? 
And you heard Elliot. Big Red is the one. He's hard to go against. Dale and Tim will debate that topic later in the show, 1030 Eastern with I Ask, They Answer. Uh, They'll talk about several different things here today. And I'm going to ask them the same question I'm asking you in the poll question here this morning, which is of the Derby points races taking place later today, which of those is more likely to produce the winner of the Kentucky Derby? And the Fountain of Youth is far and away the leader in this one here. 73% of you saying it is the Fountain of Youth, 13% the San Felipe, 10% the Gotham. Of course, if it's going to happen with the San Felipe, two things are going to need to to unfold. Either Churchill's going to have to say the Bob Baffert horses can run in the Kentucky Derby if one of his trio of horses wins that race tomorrow, or one of the other horses not trained by Bob Baffert is going to have to win that race and continue on to the Kentucky Derby. That's the only way that's going to happen. So the Fountain of Youth, an easy choice here. Uh, You also heard Elliot break the news just a few moments ago that Locked, who was the expected favorite, at least certainly among the favorites, but I would say the expected favorite in today's Fountain of View stakes, will also be scratched from that race. He just talked to Todd Pletcher about 30 minutes ago, and Todd relaying that news to Elliot. And, you know, listen, Elliot, always the consummate professional, um, said he's very glad now that they decided to go in this Fountain of View stakes as opposed to the other allowance race that they were looking at with Speakeasy. That was the decision they were trying to make. Do you take a shot at trying to get a graded stakes victory in the grade two Fountain of Youth, or do you rein it in a little bit and take the next step after winning a maiden race and go in that, that allowance race? They decided on the Fountain of Youth. It's turned out right now to at least look like I'm, on paper, a pretty good decision because Speakeasy was 9-2 to two on the morning line. He's going to be lower than that because of the fact that Victory Avenue and Locked are both out of that race today. You still have to contend with Doorknock, the full brother to last year's Derby winner, Mage. Um, he makes his three-year-old debut for Danny Gargan, but I don't think Doorknock is necessarily a cinch. He, he doesn't strike me. He's a nice horse. He's never run a bad race. Winner of the Remsen Stakes, he won that race by a nose on a muddy surface over Sierra Leone. And as we know, his form was flatter when Sierra Leone came back at the fairgrounds and rolled to victory. But Doorknock doesn't necessarily strike me as the next secretariat, but with that pedigree and with his tenacity, he's a horse that when you hook him in the stretch, he reminds me a little bit of, of National Treasure. National Treasure... If if he gets hooked in a stretch battle, he's not going anywhere, right? He is a, a tough son of a gun. And I think Doorknock is, is cut from the same cloth. And if you remember when Danny Gargan joined me on the program several weeks ago, Danny talked about the fact that Doorknock is such a big horse. And Ramiro Restrepo in the first hour of the program said the same thing when I asked him to compare Doorknock to Mage. They're full brothers, and he said Mage is more the good magic build, a little more sleek than what Doorknock is. Doorknock's just a beast. Doorknock, according to Danny Gargan and to Ramiro, just a monster. And 
now he has to grow into that frame. Which you, you know, at two, he was running big races. It's just a, a big, strong two-year-old. Now if he comes back at three and he does mature physically into that frame, he could be a handful. And I think he's going to be a handful in the Fountain of Youth today. But with Locked and Victory Avenue coming out, the road for Speakeasy just got a bit easier. And Elliot said now it's looking like they made the right decision to go in this spot this afternoon. I would certainly say so. But we'll see what Dornock does. And again, his form flattered when Sierra Leone came back in his three-year-old debut. Looked good. We've seen Drumroll Please come back and win. So the Remsen holding up is a really key race right now on the road to the Kentucky Derby. And if Dornock would run huge today, um, that would just add more more credence to the Remsen stakes. Again, if you missed any portion of this show so far, all you have to do is head back to the website, horseracingradio.net, to check out the podcast. Do that, too, on every podcast platform. And by the way, since I have just a second here before we have to get to a commercial break, that also includes every single show we bring your way here on the network. It's not just the Equine Forum. You can go back and listen to Trainer Talk, and you can listen to the Brisnet Call-In shows. You can listen to the Weekend Stakes Preview, Betting with Bobby. All of those shows available for you at horseracingradio.net. And many of the segments within those shows, including Kurt Becker's Stroll Through Racing History, the Kentucky Bread segment we just brought your way, Calling All Three-Year-Olds, all of those segments broken out on our website individually. So if you haven't been there and haven't subscribed to our podcast yet, make sure you're doing it. We make it easy for you to listen to your favorite segments. I Ask, They Answer with Dale and Tim, broken out separately. And if you'd like to listen to the whole show, you can do that too. We make it very easy for you on our website and on every podcast platform. So make sure you do that and uh, follow along as we take you down the road to the Kentucky Derby here on HRRN. All right, John White joins me next from California, the morning line odds maker at Santa Anita. We'll talk about tomorrow's Big Cat program, and he's going to talk about the very special honor he received this week. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher, showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile, the Grade 1 Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Switchy going to a drive by three quarters of a length. Seabiscuit is second by a head and winning call is third and then can't wait. They're turning for home now with a winning call in front by a head. Kayak is second by a head. Seabiscuit is third by one length and by county. Into the stretch. It's Seabiscuit in front by a head. 
kayak on the outside of second. It's kayak and Seabiscuit, head in hand. It's Seabiscuit on the rail. Seabiscuit and kayak. Seabiscuit and kayak. They're coming down there. It's Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit wins it. A new world champion comes down there. He wins it. And listen to the crowd. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you on this Saturday morning. Happy anniversary to Seabiscuit, who on this day in 1940 finally added that big cap victory to his resume. He did it in front of 68,000 fans at Santa Anita after failed attempts in both 1937 and 1938. It was wonderful to see. And John White is the morning line odds maker at Santa Anita and the newest member of the Washington Horse Racing Hall of Fame. He is with me now to look ahead to tomorrow's card. But John, first of all, let me start with a huge congratula- a huge congratulations for that tremendous honor that you're going to receive in Washington. Well deserved, my friend. Well, thank you very much, Mike. And uh, that win by Seabiscuit, by the way, I consider to be one of the three greatest performances ever at Santa Anita. Uh, the, another one would be George Royal and John Longden announcing that he would be retiring as the world's winningest rider. And when he won the San Juan Capistrano in 1966 in a storybook fashion. And then, of course, Zenyatta's unbelievable, or I should say like Trevor Denman, unbelievable <laughs> win in the Breeders' Cup Classic in 2009. So Seabiscuit, George Royal with John Longden and Zenyatta. As far as the Washington State Racing Hall of Fame, uh, this really ranks right up there in my racing career, probably right alongside becoming the youngest steward in the history of racing in Washington State at Yakima Meadows in 1979 at the age of 24. What makes this honor so meaningful to me is I have such a familiarity and appreciation with those who are already in this Hall of Fame. For instance, Pete Peterson, uh, an esteemed racing official, uh, one of the most respected stewards in history. He's in this Hall of Fame. Uh, You talk about uh, trainers like Charlie Whittingham and Jim Penny. Charlie Whittingham, to me, I consider him to be the greatest trainer in my lifetime, and I knew him very well, got to know him. I really miss him. And Jim Penny I knew very, very well, and he won the Long Acres Mile, the most prestigious race in the Pacific Northwest, the biggest race in Washington State, the Long Acres Mile record five times. Uh, I think of jockeys like Gary Stevens, uh, Gary Bays, Russell Bays. Gary Stevens was a champion jockey at Long Acres, the beautiful track near Seattle that was my favorite place on earth when I was growing up. And Stevens, of course, would go on from Long Acres and become one of the greatest jockeys in the history of thoroughbred racing. Gary Bays won the Long Acres Mile a record five times. And Russell Bays is North America's all-time leader in wins by a jockey, 12,842. He won his first race at Walla Walla, but it didn't count on his official record. That's a little track in southeastern Washington, but it wasn't recognized as a a track at the time for uh, thoroughbred statistics. And I happened to be at Yakima Meadows as a racing fan on a fall day in 1974 when Russell Bays won the first of his 12,842 official wins when he won a five-and-a-half furlong claiming race. Uh, for And the claiming price, Mike, $1,250. That was 1,250 <laughs> claimers. 
The winner was Oregon Warrior, trained by Russell's dad, Joe Bays, who was an outstanding jockey himself, who had success at Golden Gate and was a leading rider at Long Acres. And I, one day uh, I asked uh, Russell Bays, do you remember that first win when I got to interview him years later when he won the George Wolf Memorial Jockey Award when I was a, a television broadcaster at Santa Anita? And he says, oh, yes, I remember it. My dad said to uh, just get out of the gate and, uh, you know, uh, keep him in the clear. So Russell Bays in a five-and-a-half furlong race, he broke from an outside post position and raced in the middle of the track all the way around, <laughs> and he still won the race. And Russell said that my dad told me when I came down to the uh, when he when when I when he congratulated me afterwards, he said, "Congratulations, son!" But that isn't exactly what I had in mind. Wow, that is such a great story, John. How does how does a kid, a native of Spokane, Washington, end up getting interested in thoroughbred racing in the first place? Great question, Mike, and it's my father, and it's the thing I miss the most about this honor of going into the Washington State Racing Hall of Fame that my father has you know, passed away a few years ago, and he was a huge racing fan. Uh, look, I have so many memories of my dad. For instance, I can remember one time we were I was in the car with him. We were driving somewhere, and he was explaining how claiming works to me. And I'll never, he said, it's a great poker game, and he went through how claiming races work, and he just loved racing so much. And uh, by the way, I did want to also mention, though, you had Forgo on your Legends segment uh, this week. And mm -hmm. I wanted to mention that uh, Bill Shoemaker once, I asked him about that race, winning the Marlboro Cup with Forgo in 1976, one of the most famous victories in the history of our sport. And Shoemaker told me a very interesting uh, tidbit about that. When Forgo was coming back to the winner's circle and the crowd was going berserk, uh, Frank Whiteley, the great trainer, walked over to Shoemaker, and he told Shoemaker kind of under his breath, he said, Shoe, when you go over to the scale with that saddle, I want you to really play it up and, you know, feel like this, you know, show everybody how heavy this saddle is with 137 pounds. And Shoemaker told me, Mr. Whiteley, I won't have to act. It really it will be heavy. <laughs> I, I love it so many wonderful moments and stories that John White has been part of in what is now a Hall of Fame career in thoroughbred racing very well deserved and John before we get to talking about tomorrow's Big Cat program I, I want to bring this up too and I said this a couple of times throughout the show already but it wasn't just Seabiscuit who made his final career start in 1940 uh, on this particular day it was also Kelso the five-time horse of the year who competed for the final time in his career on this day in 1966. He didn't win. He finished fourth at Hialeah Park. So a couple of the all-time greats wrapping up their career on this particular day, March 2nd. Well, by the way, speaking of, uh, of Kelso, uh, what I called the Breeders' Cup charts in 1986 at Santa Anita, 1987 at Hollywood Park. Jack Wilson was one of the greatest chart callers in the history of racing, and he was the national field supervisor at the time. We had dinner uh, prior to the 1987 Breeders' Cup, in which I called that race, and that was a, a showdown of Kentucky Derby winners, Ferdinand and Ali Sheba with Horse of the Year on the line, and Ferdinand eked out the win with Bill Shoemaker aboard. 
But I asked Jack Wilson at dinner when he was uh, there for that race, I said, who's the greatest horse you ever saw? Keep in mind, Jack Wilson called Secretariat's Belmont Stakes chart, the 31-length victory that uh, is iconic. And I I thought I was probably asking a stupid question because I fully expected him to say Secretariat. And Jack said, there's no doubt about it in my mind who I consider to be the greatest horse of all time. And I figured he'd say Secretariat. He goes, and it is Kelso. And I said, what? And he said, that horse was just unbelievable. And uh, to win the horse of the year five times like that, I mean, just think of that, to be that best of that many generations. So that really resonated with me. But for me, Secretariat would win the dream race. Uh, of course, I have a sentiment to him when I was in high school in 1973, I was the sports editor of my high school newspaper, and I wrote about horse racing in that. And in March of 1973, I predicted that Secretariat would sweep the Triple Crown. I wrote that going out on a limb and living dangerously, I dare say that 1973 will be a historic year, as Secretariat will become the first Triple Crown winner since the Great Citation in 1948. And that was a pretty bold prediction for a high school student at that time, considering it had been a 25-year drought uh, in terms of Triple Crown winners. That's one heck of a call. You, you know, John, I don't think there are any any contenders in tomorrow's big cap that are going to be mistaken for Secretariat or for Kelso. But you have seven horses, older horses, that are pretty well matched. New Grange is expected to be the morning line favorite, or he is the morning line favorite at 5-2, to two, expected to go postward as the favorite. Tell me a little bit more about this year's big cap and what we can expect. Well, I did install him as the 5-2 to two morning line favorite, and I think he will go favored in this race. Uh, in fact, one of, I'm very proud that uh, I pr- have a pretty good batting average. In all the years I've been making morning lines, uh, generally I, I collect at 70% or higher in being able to forecast who actually goes off as the favorite. And Newgrange uh, in this race is in razor-sharp form, coming off victories, uh, back-to-back rated stakes winner, victories at Santa Anita. But this is really uh, a competitive group assembled here. You've got Highland Falls, who has excellent thoroughbred numbers coming in for trainer Brad Cox. And when Cox sends horses out here to California, you really have to take them very seriously. Cox has done very well shipping horses out here. Uh, you've got Newgate, who uh, is trying to turn the tables on Newgrange, but certainly is a quality uh, runner. Salesman looked fantastic winning that marathon race last fall and has been training up a storm. And, of course, Richard Mandela, one of the greatest trainers of my lifetime for sure. Uh, in fact, he's a guy that won the Long Acres Mile, uh, a big moment in his career with what his first big horse, Bad and Big, back in the 1970s, and Shoemaker Road bad and big in that Long Acres mile. And you got Pratt on salesman, so he's uh, very dangerous in this spot. And John Sandler, the trainer of the great flight line, has Subsanador in here. And I know they're sky high on this uh, Argentinian import. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he bounces back off his disappointing United States debut. And look, mixed two for Doug O'Neill. And, of course, Doug O'Neill. Uh, is certainly an accomplished trainer, two Kentucky Derbies, and Lava Man, who was a, a Santa Anita handicap winner and many other accomplishments, uh, and in fact is a finalist on the National Hall of Fame this year again, is uh, Lava Man. But, uh, or actually, he's in the Hall of Fame. What am yeah. I talking about? 
Yeah, he's but, in. Uh, but next to next to in this race, he finished strongly last time out, and I had noticed on the gallop out that he was going out. So I think he'll relish this mile and a quarter. Very interesting race this year's edition of the Big Cat. Yeah. So what you're telling me, John, is that Newgrange better bring his A game. Yes, absolutely. In fact, whoever wins this race is going to have to bring their A game for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a a solid renewal. Again, not a big field, which is kind of the theme of, of racing in Southern California right now, at least in the dirt races. Um, but it is a well-balanced field going in the big cap tomorrow at Santa Anita. And, and if you're wondering why we're talking about this tomorrow, if you were just joining us, if you haven't heard, because of the rain in Southern California, the, the card has been shifted to tomorrow. So, John, what's what's the weather like right now, and what's the forecast for tomorrow? Well, right now, as I look out the window from my office here, which is located uh, a mile and a 16th from Santa Anita, uh, we have heavy rain right now, and it's supposed to rain on off and on for the rest of the day and maybe into the, maybe early tomorrow morning, and then hopefully this will get behind us and we can move forward with the card that is the expectation. That is the hope. Uh, one thing about this particular storm versus the ones we had earlier, uh, we got blasted with what they call the uh, atmospheric river. And this one isn't really so much like that. And what I mean, the difference being when we got hit by that atmospheric river, it rained just poured for th- like three straight days, you know, like where you want to build an arc. And, uh, you know, you're looking for Noah's Ark. But this one is more off and on and not quite as heavy. So that is also helpful in terms of looking ahead to tomorrow's uh, Santa Anita Handicap card. And also, of course, we're looking forward to Nysos, who I think is the most exciting horse here in Southern California that we've had since Flightline. Yeah, he's very, very good. And unless... One of the Johns, John Sadler or John Shiras, is able to pull off a little bit of an upset in the San Felipe tomorrow. The race isn't expected to have any impact on this year's Kentucky Derby because the other three are all trained by Bob Baffert and those horses not eligible. That does include the morning line favorite, Nysos. Um, do, you, do you give any shot at all to either the John Sadler-trained Scatify or to the John Shiras-trained McVeigh? Well, I do give them a shot to finish second or third. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just really can't <laughs> give them a shot to finish first based on what we've seen so far by night from Nysos. However, don't forget, Man of War once got beat by the aptly named upset. Secretariat, as great as he was, had five defeats on his record. That Think of that. So, I mean, anything can happen in a horse race. We've seen it. But barring something just uh, unforeseen almost, Nysos, I mean, he's not only looked like the the best three-year-old here in Southern California, he really has looked like the best three-year-old in the nation. And uh, right now, uh, he's atop the national thoroughbred, uh, the the NTRA three-year-old poll, and I think deservedly so. And uh, I rarely make a one-to-five morning line favorite, but uh, I certainly did in this case. Visiting with John White, the morning line odds maker at Santa Anita and the newly uh, enshrined or will be enshrined member of the Washington Thoroughbred Horse Racing Hall of Fame. John, I've got about two minutes left before I have to get to my next commercial break. What other races have you excited on that program at Santa Anita tomorrow? 
Well, certainly the Kilroy Mile, uh, here's another gentleman that I feel very fortunate that I got to know, Mr. Kilroy, and believe me, we all called him Mr. Because there's a guy that had forgotten more about racing than most people will ever know, including myself. I mean, he was a legend racing official, and uh, I'm glad that we honor him each year with the Kilroy Mile. That's a, that's an interesting race, but we have a, a real razor-sharp Easter in this race for the powerful turf barn of Phil D'Amato, and uh, we'll see if he can continue his winning race in that race. Bob Baffert's bringing back DeJure out of the Breeders' Cup, and uh, he is a, a top-quality turf runner himself. And Goliad is always interesting. Last time out, he went out and opened up a huge lead on the backstretch, like 12 lengths, and still managed to win the race. So that's interesting. And then the final race on the card is the Buena Vista grade two, and that thing is wide, wide, wide open. I made Ruby Nail a slight 7-2 to two favorite in there, but Bella Bell's coming off a nice win following a long layoff and uh, really a, 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 just a strong field. A field of 11 entered in that race, so looking forward to that one too. John, listen, stay dry, um, and I, I hope all goes well with the program tomorrow and really appreciate you getting up early to be with me here this morning live from California. John White, as good as it gets, and congratulations again on that tremendous Hall of Fame honor. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it. John White here on HRRN. Going to get to another break. When I come back, I will take a look at a couple historical dates in racing history as they apply to this weekend. I told you about Seabiscuit and Kelso, but I'll tell you about a couple of others, and I'll get you ready for our number three. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. Retirement can be scary, but only if you're not prepared. That's why AARP created thisispretirement.org. Because unless you've already retired, you're in pretirement and you still have time to plan. Learn about retirement savings options, potential tax breaks, and how you can build savings over time. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan and feel the retirement fear disappear. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. James Brown and Bill Cower welcoming you back to Dennis Melvin's house. It's time for the Midnight Snack Run. This is one tricky obstacle course. Sticking to healthy habits in this kitchen is going to take focus and determination, but it can be done, JB. He's already entered the snack part of the course, and he's eyeballing a jar of chocolatey candy. That is tempting right off the start. Uh-oh. He's reaching, Bill, but he pushes it away. Great stiff arm. He's approaching a plate of delicious-looking iced cookies. Oh, Dennis, you only want one of those. He blows right by him for the apple. Oh, the fridge. It's make or break time, JB. He stares down some rich-looking treats. Uh-oh. Looks like he's headed for the soda. Wait, he jukes left, grabs the water bottle, and shuts the door with his elbow in record time. Unbelievable move. I gotta see that again. And he's out. He even turned off the light. That's the way you execute a midnight snack run. Stand up to cancer and rally want you to reduce your risk for cancer Go to takeahealthystand.org. Hi there, it's Scott from Pentatonix. 
So from the beginning of our journey in music, the foundation has been music education. It's so incredibly important that we continue to show kids the importance of music in our schools, in our homes, and even in the car. Music is such a powerful expression of emotion and individuality, and we are responsible for keeping the love for music alive. This message is courtesy of the United States Air Force. Want to get the latest HRRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Well, a reminder that tickets for the 41st running of the Breeders' Cup World Championships, which are going to be held November 1st and 2nd at Santa Anita, no, Del Mar this year, excuse me, Del Mar in Southern California, uh, are going to go on sale Monday, April 22nd. So mark that day on your calendar, put a reminder in your phone. You can sign up to receive ticket information at breederscup.com slash 2024. Well, I told you about Seabiscuit. I told you about Kelso, both making their final career start on this particular day, March 2nd. It happened in 1940 for Seabiscuit when he won the big cap. It happened in 1966 for Kelso. Here are a couple other dates in racing history as they apply to this particular weekend. March 1st, 1969. That was yesterday, the anniversary of Tuesday Testa, who at age 27 became the first female jockey to win a race at a major American thoroughbred track when she won the third race at Santa Anita aboard Buzz On. Tomorrow, we celebrate the anniversary of Ogden Phipps's Buck Passer winning the Flamingo Stakes by a nose, did it under the guidance of Hall of Fame jockey Bill Shoemaker. The Colt was such a prohibitive favorite among that field of nine that the race was declared a non-wagering contest and was dubbed quote-unquote, the chicken flamingo. (laughs) How about that? That was March 3rd, 1966. And then one other one for you. March 3rd, 1993. Tomorrow, happy anniversary to jockey Russell Bays, who had his 4,000th career win with Frank Musso at Golden Gate Field. So happy anniversary tomorrow to Russell Bays. And again, I'm going to talk about some of those other dates that are historically significant this weekend with Dale and Tim coming up on in I Ask the Answer at the end of the show, 10.30 Eastern, so stay with me. Hour 3 is loaded with more content as it applies to the races coming up this afternoon. You're going to hear from Vance Hansen with the Twin Spires Triple Play, 10 Eastern. He'll give you three races to keep an eye on. And a little bit of a spoiler alert, none of those three that he's going to talk about are any of the derby preps taking place today. So you're going to get a different perspective of anything you've heard over the first two hours of the program from Vance Hansen. Kurt Becker strolled through racing history at 1020. Dale and Tim at 1030 Eastern with I Ask, They Answer. Uh, If you have missed any of the show so far, you missed a lot. Kicked it off with owner Ramiro Restrepo at 815 Eastern, looking back on last year's win the derby with Mage, and then talking about 
what we hoped was going to be Victory Avenue going in the Fountain of Youth today, but he made the announcement on the show that Victory Avenue wasn't himself last night, didn't eat up all of his feed, uh, really didn't eat up much at all. And so they decided not to pursue a run in the Fountain of Youth today with him. So he is out. Uh, You heard from trainer Butch Reed, who was with me in the first hour of the program, talking about the Gotham Stakes today, then Elliot Walden, um, talking about Speak Easy and looking back on Timberlake. And then he broke the news that Locked was not going to go to the post in the Fountain of Youth today either. So that race is really changing. The whole complexion has changed significantly from what we thought it was going to be. But that is part of the poll question. I asked you earlier throughout the morning, which of the four Derby points races most likely to produce the winner of the Kentucky Derby today? And... 67% of you are saying it is indeed the fountain of youth that is uh, going to be the one to send us the Kentucky Derby winner. wonder if you still feel that way, knowing Victory Avenue and Locked are both out of that race. But you still got Doorknock. He's a, he's a tough son of a gun. Two hours down, one to go here on the Equine Forum. Again, I told you what's ahead here in hour number three. If your local station is leaving us at this time, Continue listening to the third hour of the show nationwide on Sirius 162, XM 207, in the Louisville, Kentucky market on ESPN 680 and streaming at horseracingradio.net. Hour three of the Equine Forum is coming up next right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network where racing comes to talk. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Catherine Sophia is pouring it on now. She has opened up suddenly to a five-length lead over Dearest and Lewis Bay. Oh, this is one fantastic filly. Catherine Sophia wins the Devona Dale by about seven lengths in the end. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. But it's all California Chrome as they come for home. They would need to sprout wings to get to California Chrome. Absolutely romping in under Victor Espinosa. San Felipe was a walkover for California Chrome. Secretariat on the rail. Champagne Charlie on the outside, an eighth of a mile to the finish. Secretariat on the inside in front by half a length. Champagne Charlie second, 70 yards to the finish. It's Secretariat now in front. Now here's Mike Penna. Welcome back. Hour three of the Equine Forum rolling on on this Saturday morning. Busy Saturday morning in the world of thoroughbred racing. Not as busy an afternoon as it could have been because of the situation at Santa Anita with the weather postponing the San Felipe Big Cap Day card to tomorrow, but still a day full of great racing at Gulfstream, at Aqueduct, and uh, around the country. Uh, Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, ready to dive into the Twin Spires triple play with Vance Hansen momentarily. You're also going to hear Kurt Becker stroll through racing history coming up at 10.20. And at 10.30, Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin will join me for this week's edition of I Ask. They answer in plenty of interesting topics to talk about there, including a brand new segment we're calling Who Did It Best? Taking a look back in history with some of the great occurrences 
on the historical calendar this weekend. We'll compare jockeys, we'll compare horses, and we'll tell you who did it best in their respective careers. But if you missed any portion of the first two hours of the show, you missed a lot, and you missed conversations about the Gotham. You missed conversations about the Fountain of Youth, and you missed conversations about the big day coming up tomorrow now at Santa Anita. Head back to the website, horseracingradio.net. Check out the podcast whenever you get a couple of minutes. You can do that with this show and all of our programs, all there for you at horseracingradio.net and on every podcast platform. However you listen to podcasts, listen to Horse Racing Radio Network. Without further ado, my friend Vance Hansen is here with this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Vance, looking forward to these three selections. You have chosen to go with three races from Gulfstream later today, and all three of those are stakes, but none of them are the Fountain of Youth, which I I actually love because I spent a lot of time talking about the Fountain of Youth in the first two hours. Now we get a chance to talk about some other races on that really good program today. Hey, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. And, yeah, I concentrated uh, on the uh, couple of grass stakes today and – the uh, Devona Dale we'll be talking about in just a couple of moments. So looking forward to it. All right, well, let's dive in. You have chosen race number seven, the Mac Dermida, to kick things off. That is a mile and three-eighths on the turf course and another uh, interesting race to decipher here. Look, I, I took a quick look at this one here before we jumped on the show, and I think you can go a few different ways in this race trying to pick the winner. Who'd you land on? Well, this race has been dominated in recent years by trainer Mike Maker, who we know uh, really specializes in long-distance turf horses. But I am going in a different direction, even though he's got a few uh, solid contenders in here. I'm kind of going here with the stakes newcomer, number three, Headline News, uh, homebred for Joe Allen. Uh, Headline News uh, is stretching out from a mile to a mile and three-eighths here, but he's impeccably bred. He's by Curlin. Uh, He's out of a a dam named Front Page Story, and she's a sibling, full or half, to uh, Declaration of War, who was a, a you know top uh, group, grade Group One performer placed in the Breeders' Cup Classic on dirt, uh, and also Vertiformer and War Correspondent, who are who both ran very well in graded stakes over this uh, Gulfstream Park turf course. So, Headline News has got the pedigree going for him for sure, and. Uh, I thought his last race in a conditioned allowance uh, was a very solid effort and solid uh, uh, first step above the first level allowance he won at Gulfstream back in December. Uh, he, he was facing a tough field here. It was ostensibly a second level allowance for him, but the race was open to a much tougher competition, and the winner, Ice Chocola, uh, was a grade one placed uh, horse, and he's actually running later in the Gulfstream Park car today as well. But the headline news, I thought, made a pretty nice rally in the stretch. It just missed by less than a length to, a, uh, like I said, a grade one place performer. So I, I think he would just have to improve just a little bit to make his presence felt in this stakes debut here. I love seeing James Toner back with a big horse on the grass. Jimmy Toner trained some of the my favorite fillies, turf fillies of all time. Uh, Memories of Silver was one of the first ones that I truly just fell in love with, and then there was Winter Memories, who, um, man, just captured my heart, but he also had Soaring Softly and Wonder Again. He knows how to train a good turf horse, and we're going to find out later today if Headline News fits into that category. I'm not saying that Headline News is ready to make that jump, but a win here takes him in the right direction. 
Yeah, and he picks up Jose Ortiz today, gets a bit of a weight break from all of his other uh, stakes-experienced foes. And, yeah, like you said, I think the Jimmy Toner angle is really strong uh, given his history with these types of horses. All right, 12-1 to 1 for Vance Hansen to kick off this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Remember, you can bet all three of these races any way you like. Just make sure you're doing it this afternoon at Twin Spires. Let's move on to race number nine. That is the second leg of this triple play that you have selected. It is the Devona, the Devona Dale, excuse me. Um, one mile on the main track. This one, a prep race for the Kentucky Oaks. Three-year-old fillies in the spotlight. Who wins this one, Vance? Well, this race obviously features the returning juvenile champion, just FYI, who uh, was well-deserving of her Eclipse Award after winning the Breeders' Cup uh, she wasn't an especially fast champion on the figures, to be honest, and uh, she's facing a really tough filly in here named Leslie's Rose, who I think might go off favored uh, going in with a two-for-two two record for Todd Pletcher. Uh, I'm even moving, looking beyond those two, and I thought uh, Queen's Martini for uh, Danny Gargan uh, is a filly I think has, has still has a lot of upside and a lot of future to her. Uh, she won an auction maiden at Saratoga and on debut last July. Um, I saw an interview with uh, Danny Gargan uh, that he had earlier this year. He said the Philly got sick on him and they had to back off. But she returned in the cash run stakes on New Year's Day at Gulfstream. Uh, didn't get the best of breaks there, but was prominent throughout. And then just got uh, beat late in the end by Power Squeeze who went on to win the Suncoast Stakes at Tampa Bay Downs. So she, that rivals a filly on the rise. Queen's Martini, I think uh, Gargan said he was really hoping uh, this filly would excel over two turns. He doesn't get that quite today. But uh, the pace of this race figures to be pretty hot. Queen's Martini's got some uh, good, stocking, uh, good stocking style for this. And with uh, Saez returning aboard, I think she might have a shot to make some noise at a nice price. Mm, yeah, my wonderful friends, Patty and Dean Reeves, the owners of Queens Martini, uh, looking to make some magic with a daughter of their horse they own that won the Breeders' Cup Classic, Mucho Macho Man. So th there's an angle there to be able to play, and we'll see if they can pull it off. But 10 to 1, a solid price to give Queens Martini a shot. But as you said, she's in deep. Those two favorites, just FYI, and Leslie's Rose look like they could be the real deal, especially, as you said, Leslie's Rose, who really is coming into the race well. But just FYI, obviously did nothing wrong during her two-year-old campaign. She has to prove she can keep moving forward here at three. Absolutely. And uh, and she did run very well at a one-turn mile, obviously, winning the Frisette last fall. Mm -hmm. That was in the slop, however, and this, she faces a likely fast track. Uh, here so uh, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see the both of them will have to have their uh, running shoes on i think that bill mock guy is going to turn out okay in this game too yeah i've heard some good things about it. <laughs> all right well we'll see how this plays out but it is number six queens martini for vance hansen in the devona dale race number 12 is the canadian turf and this is always a fun race it is a mile and a 16th on the grass a few different ways you can go in here you've given me bombs away in the first two is it another long shot here in race number 12 uh it's a it's a longer shot not quite as long as the previous two uh, we do have the defending race winner in here emmanuel he's the horse to beat but he is coming off of quite a bit of a layoff uh i gravitated toward number two smoke and tea for should mcgee he, um, this horse has had a pretty good season last year, winning three times in eight starts. 
basically is one real clunker on the grass was in in a, a small field uh, grade three at Pimlico. I don't know what happened in that race two back, but before then his uh, his form was really good, first and seconds throughout, and then he capped his season winning the River City at Churchill Downs fairly easily. Uh, John Velasquez really knows this horse well. He's won on him like three times uh, in the last year, and uh, yeah, just a, a, I think he's five six to one on the morning line. I think you got a, a solid contender here for Shug. Yep, yeah, the son of Warfront looking to pair up back-to-back greatest stakes wins after winning the River City at Churchill in November. And, you know, coming off the layoff, Suge has been training up at Payson, and I see some bullet workouts here too, Vance. I think that has to bode well for Smoke and Tea. Absolutely. It looks like he is coming into this race uh, really sharp. And, uh, you know, also, you know, looking at his record at Gulfstream over the turf, you know, three starts, he's only managed a couple of third-place finishers. But if you look back a year, about a year ago at this time, he was running in an allowance uh, over the over the local turf course here, and he ran into a horse named Up to the Mark, who did kind of pretty well uh, later in the season. So he's faced some tough competition in, uh, over this course before and has run pretty decently, and I think he, this field is obviously one that I think he can handle. All right, so it is number two, Smoke and Tea, in race 12 at Gulfstream for Vance to wrap up the triple play. That is the Canadian turf. So here are the three selections. Vance, let me recap before we let you go. Um, race number seven at Gulfstream, the McDermott. You'll go with number three, Headline News, at 12 to 1. Race nine, the Devona Dale. You'll take number six, Queen's Martini, at 10 to 1. And race number 12, the Canadian turf, number two, Smoke and Tea, at odds of 6 to 1. And man, if you can just connect on one of those, you're going to have a pretty good day. All you need is one in this in in this day and age, I think. Uh just one one good winner and you got a positive ROI for the day. So that's what we're looking forward to at the very least. Yeah. Vance, I appreciate it, my friend. Again, bet all three of those races any way you like. Just make sure you're doing it at Twin Spires later today. And, of course, you can download the Brisnet PPs. I highly recommend those. Vance knows I'm a, a massive fan of the Brisnet past performances. I can't see myself handicapping with anything else, and you should too. So you can do that. You can go bet the races at Twin Spires and take advantage of those three selections that Vance just talked about. Vance, I really appreciate it, my friend. We'll do it all over again in a few weeks. Thanks, Mike. Have a great weekend. All right. That is your Twin Spires triple play for this Saturday morning. Coming up next, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And still to come, Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin with this week's edition of I Ask They Answer. Several new things that we're going to talk about in that segment today. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Stay tuned. That's all ahead on the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of Grade 1 winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century, as his third dam is Broodmare of the Year weekend surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect 4-for-4 season with an emphatic victory in the historic Grade 1 Jockey Club Gold Cup. 
Sophie Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the grade one Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs, happy Saver. Think about it. There's a corner of Kentucky in Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darley grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Essential quality coming forward for the lead. Late run from Keep Me in Mind. Hot Rod Charlie to the inside. Essential quality. And Luis Saez have won the TVG Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Essential quality on the outside. Hot Rod Charlie won't go away. Essential quality. Too good. Essential quality has won the Wow, a tremendous look back at champion Essential Quality's brilliant victories in both the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and Belmont Stakes. His eight wins from 10 career starts and his distinction as the one and only Breeders' Cup Juvenile and Belmont winner makes Essential Quality your Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Learn more about Essential Quality and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hello, I'm Kurt Becker. Thanks for joining me as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. He failed to meet his reserve in the auction ring as a juvenile, was at the center of controversy in the Preakness Stakes at age three, and beat some of the best in the business as a four-year-old. His name was Desert Wine. Fold on February 23, 1980 at the Airdrie Stud of co-breeder Brereton Jones in Midway, Kentucky, Desert Wine was a bay colt by former Horse of the Year Damascus out of Ann Campbell by Never Bend. Bred also by Warnerton Farm of Marvin Warner, the colt was consigned in Jones's name to Keeneland's 38th July selected yearling sale. Selling late in the session on a Tuesday afternoon, Desert Wine sold for $165,000 with Bloodstock agent L.L. Packy McMurray signing the ticket on behalf of Washington State lumberman Dan Agnew and his Tonino Ranch. Agnew bought the colt as a pinhooking prospect, that is, with hopes of reselling him at a profit as a two-year-old, but ran into a problem of sorts. As Desert Wine was being prepped for that two-year-old's in training sale, he was doing so well that Agnew decided he might want to protect him in the sales ring by submitting a reserve bid. Ultimately, he stipulated it would take a bid of at least $300,000 in order to make a sale. But no one at the auction at Hollywood Park that day was willing to bid past $180,000, and so Agnew kept the colt and sent him to trainer Jerry Fanning. 
As it happened, Fanning's brother Lev was manager at the all-new Cardiff Stud Farm, a venture established by San Francisco real estate entrepreneur Fred Sahadi. And with Lev Fanning having helped prep Desert Wine for the juvenile sale, Sahadi decided to buy an interest in the Colt, with Agnew selling him 50% at a price of $165,000. Through the transaction, Agnew was able to recoup the original purchase price. Agnew was aware that Desert Wine was training well, and that would soon translate to success at the races. Desert Wine won on debut at Hollywood Park in June of 1982, and he won the Grade 2 Hollywood Juvenile Championship in his second start just under a month later. He would add another graded victory in the Sunny Slope Stakes at Santa Anita before the year ended. As the calendar turned to 1983, Desert Wine added two more graded victories, taking the San Rafael and San Felipe Stakes in back-to-back -back starts. The latter came via promotion by the stewards, following a stretch drive which one journalist said had more interference than a cheap radio. That same reporter called Desert Wine one of the West Coast's leading hopes for the Kentucky Derby. And while a win at Churchill Downs later that spring was not meant to be, the Colt would run well to finish second at odds of 15-1 to 1 in the 109th run for the Roses behind Sonny's Halo. Not surprisingly, the runner-up finish in the Derby convinced his connections to send Desert Wine to Pimlico for the Preakness two weeks later. But controversy arose when the Maryland Racing Commission declared he could not run with the aid of the anti-bleeding medication for Rosamide, better known as Lasix. The issue hinged on interpretation of the Maryland rule concerning Lasix and whether or not Desert Wine's status as a bleeder in California had been specifically observed by a state veterinarian under racing conditions. In what journalist Bill Christine called the drugstore derby, Desert Wine received Lasix for the Preakness, but only at the direct order of a Baltimore Circuit judge just 24 hours before the race. And so, Lasix and all, Desert Wine went to the post for the Preakness, grabbed the lead at the start, set the pace, but finished second to Maryland-bred deputed testimony after getting passed in the stretch. The result prompted winning trainer Bill Boniface to remark, the California boys won in court yesterday, but we won on the track today. Despite a three-year-old season which had produced two graded stakes wins and two classic placings, Desert Wine still had his critics. They said he was a headstrong horse who would not relax or rate under race conditions. But Fanning was already addressing that issue by finding a stronger exercise rider to work with the horse in the mornings. Critics also said that Desert Wine's five runner-up finishes in grade one races had discouraged him, prompting Fanning to remark, horses don't get discouraged by that type of thing, owners do. Turns out Fanning knew his horse better than the critics did. As a four-year-old in 1984, Desert Wine would post three wins in grade one races and become the sport's 50th millionaire. The grade one triumphs, all with Eddie Delahousie in the saddle, came in the Stroob Stakes at Santa Anita, the Californian at Hollywood Park, and the Hollywood Gold Cup. The score in the Californian came while returning from an injury after an 18-week layoff, while the win in the Hollywood Gold Cup came at the expense of two-time horse of the year, John Henry. Desert Wine would retire from racing following a fifth-place finish in the inaugural Breeders' Cup Classic later that season, boasting a career slate of eight wins and more than $1.6 million in earnings. He stood at Cardiff Stud in California and later at St. Hilaire Stud in Yakima, Washington, where he died in 2003 of a heart attack at the age of 23.
As for his impact on the breed, Desert Wine is perhaps best remembered as a broodmare sire. One of his daughters produced grade one winning millionaire subordination, while another became the grand dam of Breeders' Cup turf winner St. Nicholas Abbey. They rank as just two examples of the influence of Desert Wine on the sport's breeding and bloodlines. Please join me again next week as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker. And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Dell Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twins Buyers on HRRN. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. A reputation of excellence isn't built overnight. Day by day, year by year, decade after decade. For over a hundred years, Claiborne's commitment to quality has led to unrivaled success. 10 Kentucky Derby winners, six Triple Crown winners, 17 Horses of the Year, 23 Hall of Famers, and over 300 champions. Building on the past, building for the future. Claiborne Farm, the tradition continues. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 Ponds with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. And they're into the stretch, and Justify comes roaring home to a raucous Belmont Park with one furlong to run. Gronkowski and Hofburg trying to run him down. Vito Rosso is fourth, a 16th to go. Justify is still there. Justify from Gronkowski. He's just perfect, and now he's just immortal! Justify is the 13th Triple Crown winner! Gronkowski was second, Hofberg was third, and Vito Rosso was fourth. Justify has done it! Larry Comas with the call of the 2018 Belmont Stakes, a victory that cemented Justify's place in racing history. But is it the wrong decision to put the Triple Crown winner into the Hall of Fame? Plus, which of today's greatest stakes for three-year-olds is more likely to give us the winner of this year's Kentucky Derby? And Dale and Tim debate which legendary horses and jockeys 
did it best in the debut of a brand new segment here this morning. All of that and much, much more is straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin and all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu equine. All right, guys, we did have a change to the schedule at Santa Anita this weekend. The races that were originally scheduled for day for today, Big Cap Day, the San Felipe, uh, those races now move to tomorrow, and then tomorrow's card moved to Monday. So we still have the three greatest stakes on the road to the Kentucky Derby this weekend. You have the Fountain of Youth and the Gotham today, and then the San Felipe at Santa Anita tomorrow. Let's start with this. Six horses have won both the San Felipe and Kentucky Derby. Five horses have captured the Fountain of Youth before winning the Derby, but only one horse has pulled off the Gotham Derby double, and he turned out to be, yeah, okay. His name was Secretariat. So if we were to put all of those horses in the starting gate together, going a mile and a quarter on the first Saturday in May, the field would look like this. From the Fountain of Youth, you would have Tim Tam, Kawai King, Spectacular Bid, Thunder Gulch, and Orb. From the San Felipe, Determine, Affirmed, Sunday Silence, Fusaichi Pegasus, California Chrome, and Authentic. All of those horses taking on the great secretariat. So, Tim, I'm going to come to you first, and I'll ask you, are you taking Big Red or are you taking the field? It would be really tempting to take the field in here because, you know, you got a Triple Crown winner and Affirmed in there. You have a spectacular bid who was just awesome. But... I mean, Secretariat, and if we're talking about Kentucky Derbies, he still has the fastest time ever in the Kentucky Derby. Um, it would be it would probably be sacrilegious to pick against Secretariat because to how many people just think that he's the best horse that ever lived. Um, I would probably say Secretariat, but there's some awfully good horses in here. Um, Secretariat won his Derby by two and a half lengths. Of all these other horses in here, the horse with the biggest margin was was spectacular bid with two and three quarters. And all of these horses were pretty well backed in their derbies. The only one that was a real bomb was Thunder Gulch. I mean, he was 24 to 1. Uh, you know, Sunday Silence was, you know, his, he was phenomenal. California Chrome in his derby was really good. But, you know, put a gun to my head. I'm going to say come and get Secretariat. I don't know if you're going to get him. I'm taking Secretariat. Hmm. I'm going to make a lot of people mad, and I don't care. They can all bash me if they want to, Secretariat lovers. I'm going with the field. I think Spectacular Bid was a special, special horse. If Buddy hadn't ridden Ronnie Frank on that Belmont Park, he probably would have been a Triple Crown winner. He was a spectacular horse. Sunday Silence, a superstar. Another great horse, one of the greatest races of all time. If you ever watch a great horse race, go back and watch the Preakness, Sunny Silence, and Easy Goer. So, 
All the lovers out there can bash me all you want. I'm taking the field. Alan Jerkins, my good friend, beat him twice. He said he always wanted to know why they didn't put him in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) How about this? If you compare, and it's always difficult, right, comparing teams from different generations or different eras, but Secretariat and Affirmed and Spectacular Bid all ran in the 1970s. If you just look at their Preakness Stakes victories, Secretariat completed the mile and three sixteenths in 153 flat. Affirmed and Spectacular Bid were both over 154. Affirmed was 154.40, Spectacular Bid 154.20. That means the Secretariat would have beaten those horses if you say that a, a fifth of a second is one length, he would have beaten those horses by about seven lengths. So if, if we're going to look at just the raw data, it's hard to go against Big Red, isn't it? It is. And it's you look at the uh, all these other horses' derby times, um, the, the one closest to Secretariat was, uh, I believe, Affirmed, who ran about about a second, just about a second slower, a little bit less than a second slower than than uh, Big Red. Um, and uh, Spectacular Bid Derby time was 2.02 and change. So, I mean, it, I know, time doesn't matter unless you're in prison, right? But Yeah, but it's, it's, uh, it's the only thing we can compare, right? I mean, yeah, but it's, I mean, Secretary was, he breathed different air, I think. And uh, it would, I think it would be a great race, but I'm taking him. He was a great horse. I'm still taking the field, and harder than comparing eras is comparing times. You don't realize what the racetracks are like. It's not like uh, the same racetrack you run on in a track and field event every every week or every two weeks. There's so many variables going wind direction, uh, the s- depth of the surface, uh, the sloppy or when it rained last time. You can't really can never really compare times, especially over years. But I think there's also a chance that Secretary might just laugh at them all. He could. He could, but I'm taking the field. Give me all those good horses. The whole setup would be different. He'd get pressure early. Uh, The whole thing would be, could be totally different. But if you were going to, you know, if you take the field, who's your favorite horse in the field? Bid? Probably a bid. There's two spectacular bid in Sunday Silence. Two special horses. I liked a firm. You know, there's a good story about from Angel Cordero was working a firm before he ever ran. And he said he didn't like him. He said he was getting beat. I mean, he was beating the horses he was working with, but he barely outran anybody. And he said that uh, he went and told uh, Laz that he didn't want to ride him first time out in the exercise boy rode him, and he won. And he said he came back to the barn, and Laz was puffing on a big cigar. He always knew he was a special horse. How he knew it, he didn't know. And he said he was puffing on a big cigar, and he said, I guess you want to ride him now. <laughs> and, of course, he didn't end up riding him in the Triple Crown. Steve Coffin did, and the rest was history. But he was a horse, they said, would only run as fast as he had to to beat the horse next to him. So he could have been a great horse. Maybe he got in front of his spectacular secretary and never let him pass. Yeah. You know, you know, people are always up in arms about the prices that racetracks will charge for big days, whether it's, you know, the Derby or the Preakness Belmont, whatever it is. How much do you think we could charge – to see this race that was actually happening. Well, the, the, the Belmont that we don't even know who's going to run in it sold out overnight. It's a ticket there's much as seven hundred dollars. So I think you get a pretty penny for this race. I'd pay <laughs> to go see it. I, I'd say it's got to be twenty times that. Yes. 
say secondary market seats for the Belmont are into the thousands. So wow, was that there? You go. Um, wow, wow. Secondary market on this race <laughs> be like going to see Caitlin Clark play basketball now. <laughs> I'd yeah, like to it, do that, by the way. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah, and it's a it, listen. This is fun to talk about too. It's it's an interesting debate, and you know, it's just too bad that we couldn't actually, you know, make this thing happen. But it would be fantastic, and it's fun to fun to kick around here on a Saturday morning, guys. How about this one? When you look at the horses competing in the three graded stakes this weekend, the Gotham Fountain of Youth or San Felipe, uh, which race is more likely to give us the winner of this year's Kentucky Derby? Tim, what do you think? You know, I guess I have to go with the Fountain of Youth because you can't say the San Felipe because there's five horses in it, and Bob Baffert has three of them, including the the, the would-be wonder horse, Nysos. And, you know, none of those three can, can run in the Kentucky Derby. So you toss the San Felipe because the other two horses in that, from John Sadler Scatify from West Point and John Sheriff's McVeigh from um, – uh, they, they were third and fourth, very distant runners against Nysos and the Robert Lewis. And the Fountain of Youth, you know, Dornach, who's uh, the full brother of Mage, is making his first start of the year in this race. Locke from Todd Pletcher was third in the Juvenile, is making his first start of the year. You would think that um, if any horse is going to win the Kentucky Derby, it would probably come out of that race. I mean, the Gotham. Since 1980, 48 horses have come out of the race, and none of them have won, and they've had two seconds. So I'm throwing out the Gotham, even though Brad Cox has four in there, and you got to always pay attention to what he has. But, um, yeah, I would say the Fountain of Youth, because another horse in there, Speakeasy, from Pletcher, who's also the trainer of Locke, he was an impressive maiden winner. Who knows what he might be like? So I think if there's, if there's a, if one of these races is going to produce the Derby winner, which I don't, think but if one of them is it's, i tell you it's found you definitely found you you know Dornak was on my team from last year if you remember that won uh, so convincingly our uh challenge that we had um hey, rub it in rub it in some more yeah that was <laughs> before i think he had ever even started but uh he got me quite a few points on the record-breaking point total um so, I mean, he's a serious horse. But, you know, brothers have never won the Kentucky Derby. The closest I came around was Dolahan and my net bird. And uh, he's a, a half-brother last year's Derby winner. So, can brothers win it two years in a row? I don't know. But uh, definitely out of these three races, I found the U.S. got the strongest contenders that could compete in the Derby. Yep. Yeah, and I, I agree with Timmy's first point, too. I think this would be a very easy call if – Bob Baffert's horses were eligible to run in the Kentucky Derby because Niso certainly looks like he is the leader at this point anyways in this three-year-old division and um, the San Felipe would be a very easy call if indeed Baffert were able to participate right? So the question might should have been which one of these three races produces the Preakness winner? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we know which way you're going there Dale. Yeah. Right. There's a slam dunk there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, at least for now, it looks like Nysos is uh, the leader. We'll see if he continues on that path over the next couple of months. Uh, let's move on to a edition this Saturday morning of Right or Wrong, and then 
who did it best following this. That's a brand new segment we're going to introduce on this Saturday morning. But right or wrong is the time that we get to say hello to our friend Nick Zito and Dale and Tim get to tell me if the following statements are right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? All right. What do you think? Dale, going to come to you first on this one. Triple Crown winner Justify is among the nominees for this year's Horse Racing Hall of Fame. Since the announcement, there have been plenty of people expressing the opinion that he doesn't belong on the ballot because of his short career and the controversy surrounding his Santa Anita Derby victory. Is it right or wrong for Justify to be among the finalists? What do you Slam dunk. Right or he wrong? Won. Oh, I hate stepping on Nick. Slam dunk. He won the Triple Crown. Put him in the Hall of Fame. Quit whining, people. He, uh... He didn't have a long career, but he had a pretty darn good one. He won all three. Any Triple Crown winner should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, don't do like you're doing Pete Rose. Look at his body of work. Not all the controversy around him. I agree 150,000% with Dale on this. Horse wins the Triple Crown, which is the three biggest races on U.S. soil. Those are the races that everyone wants to win, everyone wants to see. And if you win that, and if you win that elusive crown, there's only been 13 horses that have done it, you go into the Hall of Fame. Um, all these people that are whining about the fact that, uh, oh, there was there was some controversy in the Sanity Derby, he shouldn't have won that race. Well, he did win the race, because he still has the win. And he, he did run in the Kentucky Derby. The Churchill Downs isn't... In any position, they're not going to strip him of that win. It's deal, yeah. You live with that, man. It's he won the three biggest races. How can you not put him in the Hall of Fame? If he doesn't go into the Hall of Fame, everyone that didn't vote for him should never, they're never should never be allowed to vote again because that's ridiculous. All right. Well, there was another name on the finalist list that has caused some controversy. That is jockey Jorge Chavez, who finds his name among the finalists for this year's Hall of Fame. That has led many people voicing their dismay that Chavez could potentially find himself in the Hall of Fame before jockey Patrick Valenzuela, who is not on the ballot and not a member of the Hall of Fame. Tim, I'm going to come to you first. Wait for Nick Zito. Did the nominating committee get this one right or wrong? What do you think? Right or wrong? Yeah... You know, I'm not going to say right or wrong because both jockeys, I think, deserve to be in. But Patrick Valenzuela, you know, he's because he had so many problems on off the track, that's hurt him. It, uh, that, that has hurt him in his quest to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no question in my mind about that. I mean, if you compare Patrick and Jorge's careers, they're – they're pretty even. I mean, um, Valenzuela's got 40, according to Equibase, has 4,372 wins. Uh, Chavez, 4526. Um, Chavez had a nine years shorter career. But, you know, grade one races, Chavez has 38. Valenzuela had 66. Patrick has 215 graded stakes. And, um, Chavez has 196. You know, this... I don't understand... I do understand why he isn't on the ballot, but uh, I think it should all be... It should all come down to what you've done on the track. I think Chavez belongs in, but I think Valenzuela does, too. Belong in. And and it's ridiculous that people are waiting on what happened off the racetrack. This isn't the Boy Scout Hall of Fame. 
what he did on the, his body of work between the rails deserves to be in for Pat. But so does Georgia. He deserves to be in. He had a great, like uh, Dave Gunning was preaching his, his, on the soapbox the other day, and I agree with him 100%. He, he dominated New York racing, the number one circuit, for six years as leading rider. He wins the Kentucky Derby. He deserves to be in. Whether it should be before or after Pat, then you could argue that. But they both deserve to be in. And Pat should be on the ballot. And uh, whoever there is, uh, the choir boy sitting up there deciding that his actions outside the racetrack to keep him out of the Hall of Fame, they should be kicked off the board. Dell, you mentioned the name Pete Rose, and this is a very similar situation. Now, Patrick Valenzuela wasn't betting on thoroughbred racing, at least that we know of like Pete Rose was betting on baseball. But th- listen, Pete Rose is not getting in the Baseball Hall of Fame as the all-time hits leader because of what he did off the diamond, away from the ballpark. Same thing here. No, you know, jockeys can bet on themselves. Pete, and believe me, I knew Pete a little bit, and he, he wasn't going to bet against himself in anything. And uh, so I'm saying he always bet on himself. and his, But that didn't have anything to do with how many hits he had. Uh, he was the hit king. He should be in the Hall of Fame, too. It's not a morality contest. It's an athletic contest. Yeah. Timmy, I, it, who is more deserving of being in the Hall of Fame, looking just at their resumes? P-Val, maybe a few more big race wins than Jorge Chavez. But as you pointed out, their total number of wins are very similar. Who's more deserving? If they were both on the ballot, you could only vote for one. Which one? Wow. And I do vote. Um, me too. I think I would vote for Valenzuela. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I think he deserves it. Uh, not that Jorge doesn't deserve to be in. I do think he does based on what he's accomplished. But uh, I, I think that p probably deserves a bit more just because he has more Breeders' Cup wins. He did a little bit better in the Triple Crown Series. Um, you know, it's not all based just on a win in the Kentucky Derby. And, you know, you got Breeders' Cup to wins, too. Valenzuela has seven Breeders' Cup wins. Chavez has two. Right. And, again, I, I'm not saying that Jorge Chavez, yeah, he belongs in the, in the Hall of Fame. And so does Valenzuela. And I still think Richard Migliori belongs in the Hall of Fame. You know, I played around round of golf work. with Jorge Chavez once. It was a charity golf tournament, and I remember being paired with him, and he took out his driver. He was such a, uh, you know, jockeys get this stereotype of being very short well Jorge Chavez is not a tall jockey and he took out his driver I think it was as, as big as he was and my goodness he hit it a ton yeah I played with him quite a bit he was really he, he, that's why I'm last year at a charity tournament you know he won my first greatest stake I ever won and it was the Paul Highway at Aqueduct really Victor Avenue, Victor Avenue yes wow I still have the golf ball he autographed after that round <laughs> cool yeah did he put yeah. chop chop on it no, he just went with he Jorge like Chavez. He did not like his nickname, Chop Chop. <laughs> but that's what everyone knows him as. Yeah. Yep. Really, really cool guy. Those are Good interesting guy. topics. We're going to see how this plays out when the, the votes are tallied and, and uh, the announcement comes out. I guess what, Timmy, in April, correct? Yes. Yep. Yep. We'll see how this all plays out. Uh, one more topic to get to. Actually, there's three topics involved in this one. This is a brand new segment I wanted to introduce here this morning. It's called Who Did It Best? And you get to tell me, we're going to look back on history, and you're going to tell me which horses and which jockeys did it best in their careers. And we'll start with this one, because it was on this day in 1940, in his final career start, that Seabiscuit finally added a big cap win to his resume after failed attempts 
in both 1937 and 1938. It was also on this day in 1966 that five-time Horse of the Year Kelso wrapped up his brilliant career, finishing fourth at Hialeah Park. Seabiscuit retired with 33 wins from 89 starts, while Kelso retired with 39 wins from 63 career starts. Dale, I'm going to ask you, which legendary thoroughbred did it best? Well, you're splitting hairs, but if anybody, if everybody likes horses, either read the book or seen the movie. Seabiscuit took over the whole country. And then that was probably the heyday of people watching and loving thoroughbred horse racing. And they said in that one year, I forget which year it was, he had more his name in print more than anything other subject in the in the whole entire country, including the World War. So you have to go with Sea Biscuit. Hey, I was a fan of Sea Biscuit too, but um, you know Sea Biscuit's popularity, and, and you know he was a good horse, you know bordering on great. Um, but his popularity in the, this generation basically came from the book and the movies and, and all of that. But, you know, Kelso, Kelso was one of the all time greats. Um, you know, you don't win the horse deer five years in a row and not have some ability. And, and this, this animal carried 130 pounds or more 24 times. Um, and he won 13 of those races. It's uh, it's astounding of what he did during his career. Um, there's, you know, being a five-time horse of the year, there's no other horse has won it more than three times. So that's rarefied air, too. And I, rem- I still remember a quote from the great Joe Hirsch when he, when he wrote in the Daily Racing Forum. He once wrote, he said, once upon a time there was a horse named Kelso, but only once. And I've always remembered that. And... I remember talking to Joe about Kelso and how great he was, and I'd go with Kelso on this one, even though I love Seabiscuit. Can't argue with it either way. No. no. Well, yesterday marked the anniversary of Hall of Fame jockey Pat Day becoming the sixth rider to reach $100 million in earnings. And, Dale, this one's going to hit home for you because I know you're very close with Pat Day. Tomorrow we're going to celebrate the anniversary of fellow Hall of Famer Bill Shoemaker becoming the first jockey in history to reach that $100 million plateau. So that also begs the question, who did it best, Pat Day or Bill Shoemaker? Dale, what do you think? Well, you know, I'm a Pat Day man all the way. Uh, I was never around Bill, I'll say that. And and he was at his peak a little before I was really keeping up with California racing. But if anybody ever did it Pat, better than Pat Day or ever does it in the future better than Pat Day, I want to be a part of that team. But so I'm saying, Pat. You know, this is another one where you can't have, you won't have a wrong answer. No, um, you don't. Th- these guys, I mean, when their careers were finished, uh, Shoemaker, I mean, he's third all time in wins with 8,833 wins. Pat Day is right behind with 8,803. Um, you know, you, you look at the, the shoemaker's accomplishments. I mean, he won the Derby four times. The first one was in 55. And then in 30 years later, he wins again in 86 with uh, Ferdinand. Pat Day has won the Preakness five times. Only Eddie Arcaro has won more than him. So those guys are a, they're a dead heat, in my opinion. I, you can't pick one. Uh, both, both, and I cover both of them, both class individuals. I, I couldn't pick one. 
All right, one more for you, and this is kind of a fun one to wrap it up. Uh, Timmy, last week you said that you used to enjoy when we would talk about, you know, different food topics. And I know some of our listeners had had emailed the show and said, you know, I love when Dale and Tim get into talking about their favorite foods. So here you go. Today is National Banana, Banana Cream Pie Day, and it's also National Egg McMuffin Day. So, guys, who did it best, the inventor a banana cream pie, or the person who came up with the Egg McMuffin? Timmy, what say you? Well, Ronald McDonald had to have invented the Egg McMuffin, right? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I mean, I would think that it's not. I'm sure it's not him. I think of banana cream pie, and I think of slapstick comedy, people throwing pies at each other and not eating them. I don't know if I've ever eaten a piece of banana cream pie, but I've had Egg McMuffins. I'm going with McMuffins. Uh, I can't answer this question. I'll explain later. <laughs> That's, it. That's it? That's it? it. We're explaining off air later? Is this it, Dale? No, my final thought. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. We're... <laughs> that is coming up here momentarily. There's Timmy, I will teaser. say this. I agree wholeheartedly with you. I was never a fan of banana cream pie. I love Egg McMuffin, so I will choose the Egg McMuffin there and say that the Egg McMuffin did it best i'll take the banana bread though love banana bread yeah love banana bread but i'm I'm not big on bananas i love bananas yeah i like banana bread i can't eat just plain bananas well you're going bananas mike but i like them in a shake strawberry banana shake smoothie i'm okay with that (laughs) go figure yeah i have issues plenty of food issues we can get into that in future shows there's no doubt about it but we're running out of time. It is time for Dale and Tim to make their final point of the week. Dale, you can't keep us in suspense any longer. What is your final point of the week? My final point is I got a very embarrassing text from a very prominent person in this industry. I won't tell you who it is, but it's the CEO of ISA. that says she never misses our segment of the radio, and she's never been bored in her life until last week when we talked about food. She said, please never talk about food again. Stick to horses. It was the most boring 10 minutes of the radio she's heard in a long time. So, Lisa, since you're CEO of our industry, I'm listening to you. I won't talk about food ever again. Those boys can talk all they want. Timmy, you're fired as the producer. you got to be kidding me, Dale. You're you're kowtowing. To the boss, I'm kowtowing. (laughs) My goodness. I'm I'm stunned. Yeah. Stunned. But that's not my final point. Hey, if you haven't had the opportunity, go to YouTube and look up Senior Buscador and Kelly Alvarado, the wife of Junior Alvarado. There's a video of her watching the Saudi Cup with her three kids back in the States, and they're looking like their their, hus- their father and husband, Junior Alvarado, is riding Senior Buscador. looked like he had no chance, and they showed them just sitting there. But then all of a sudden they erupt when uh, Senior Buscador gets up at the end. it was It's an awesome video to watch uh, of the Alvarado family jumping for joy for Junior. Yeah, yeah I by saw the it. way, I want to say congratulations, too. What a good man he is. A good jockey, underrated, good guy. Yep, tremendous there. That was a great video, Tim. That's a great call, great point of the week. And I, I just want to know if Lisa would prefer to go with the banana cream pie or the egg McMuffin. I'm sure she has an opinion on this. She can tweet to the show she can email the show because I'm everybody everybody loves to talk about food she's a loyal listener <laughs> so Dale, you're never going to talk about food again never 
What if you all can talk all you want? I don't eat anymore anyway to cut my stomach out. I can't eat anymore anyway. (laughs) What if she gives you a special dispensation and allows you to do it? If she says it's all right, I will. (laughs) I think she should. Come on, Lisa. Let Dale talk about it. Let Dale talk about food. Let him eat cake. He can do that occasionally. Guys, a little piece. I appreciate it. We're going to do it all over again next Saturday morning. We'll see if we're talking about food or not. But uh, enjoy the races this weekend, and we'll talk next Saturday morning. Sounds great. Thanks, pal. See you. If you have a topic you would like to hear Dale and Tim discuss, email that topic to me and let us know what you think about talking about food here on I Ask the Answer. This segment presented every single week by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. Not done yet. Back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony's Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony's Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. The Claiming Crown is returning to Churchill Downs Saturday, November 16th. Make plans to be part of the Claiming Horse version of the Breeders' Cup, showcasing eight Claiming Crown races offering a minimum of $100,000. Each race will also offer a Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund purse supplement for registered Kentucky breads. An invaluable goes all the way up top to win it a length and a half. The 2024 Claiming Crown, live from Churchill Downs, Saturday, November 16th. Learn more at ClaimingCrown.com. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended? Your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested. That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Small cell lung cancer can affect anyone, not only smokers. The good news is early lung cancer screenings can detect small cell lung cancer before it spreads when the disease is most treatable. Join Stand Up to Cancer and Jazz Pharmaceuticals to raise awareness of small cell lung cancer and accelerate the pace of research. Ask your healthcare provider about screening options that might be right for you or a loved one. Visit standuptocancer.org/lung to learn more. Hi, this is jockey Brian Hernandez. For me, there's no bigger thrill than crossing the finish line in front, and nobody captures the excitement of our sport like Horse Racing Radio Network. Each week, HRRN brings you exclusive talk shows, podcasts, and in-depth conversations with the biggest names in racing, jockeys, trainers, owners, and more. Plus, HRRN is committed to helping disabled riders through their support of the PDJF. So climb aboard a winner today by visiting horseracingradio.net. 
You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Maybe the poll question next week should be, do you like when Dale and Tim talk about food? Yes, no, or who really cares? <laughs> My guess is the third one's probably going to be the winner in there. Um, I know I don't want to talk about food gotten better with eating vegetables though that was never really my thing but i'm better with that now so there you go that's my take on on food beyond chicken parm and steak veal parmesan not much else there for me all right how about this uh pizza's pretty good too the march issue of blood horse magazine and tablet is out and it features 150 plus pages which includes stories titled End of an Era, which is a pretty good one about Aqueduct Racetrack entering its final years. And then Long On Experience with former racetrack executive Bill Nader, Bill Nader, excuse me, returning to the U.S. from Hong Kong to lead the thoroughbred owners of California. All of that and much, much more are part of the March issue of Blood Horse. You can download a copy of that issue now from the Blood Horse magazine tablet app via the App Store or Google Play. And you can order a copy at shop.bloodhorse.com or subscribe today at bloodhorse.com slash subscribe. All of that is available for you there, and I highly recommend it. And check out bloodhorse.com. I told you that's my homepage every time I log on to the computer and uh, so much great information there for you to keep up to date on everything happening in the world of thoroughbred racing. Some fun topics there with Dale and Tim, and I, I really liked the debate that they had talking about Secretariat versus the field, the field of horses from the Fountain of Youth and San Felipe to have won both of those prep races and gone on to take the Kentucky Derby. Would be interesting, no doubt. You could get a lot of money for that ticket if that race was ever happening. My thanks to all of our guests for making this show possible here this morning, including Vance Hansen with this week's Twin Spires Triple Play, Kurt Becker for a stroll through racing history, Dale and Tim in that previous segment, I Ask, They Answer. If you missed any portion of the show, Head to the website, horseracingradio.net, to check out the podcast, and you can do it on every podcast platform as well. My thanks to my producer, Lee Delapina, in our Lexington studio, and to Chauncey for handling all of our social media. I'm Mike Penna. Thanks to all of you for tuning in again here this morning. I'll talk to you next week. Go Steelers. Go Steelers.